Bring it in, and the NFL is back and better than ever. Holy shit. What a week one. What a witching hour. Holy one o'clock window. Thursday night was uh, disappointing, but the Bills look fucking incredible. The Chiefs look fucking incredible. (laughs) There was just so much going on, and the whole crew's here. We're going to break down each game. We're going to talk a little college at the end, but I'm, I'm like, still buzzing. Like, I, I still don't know if I've, my head has fully been wrapped around what was just an electric week one. And I love football. That's I, that is the overriding sentiment is I love football. We talk about how much we miss it. And then we have a day like this on opening Sunday. And you realize just how much you're like, I loved it even more than I thought I did. And I wanted it back so bad. Yeah. It's incredible. It's like one of the best this weekend too. the one o'clock window, like you said, was one of the best windows of football we may have ever had in like the red zone, like last couple of years and everything, dude, it was incredible action all around the league and it was opening weekend. Yeah. You're right. The high coming off of like, Oh, we want it back. And it even blew out expectations. It was like, like it, if you had a normal weekend, it wouldn't have mattered. We would have loved it, but this was just an elite weekend to just kick off the season. I, well, speak for yourself. Your team plays tonight and, uh, and your Eagles <laughs> won Jeff. So, uh, no, but it was great, man. It was so fun to watch. Um, just action all around. And I, I, you know, the ceremonial, uh, you know, verbiage you get from, from Scott Hansen on the red zone, friend of friend of our fantasy league, Scott Hansen. And then, you know, what, what occurred during the game, it was, it was just unbelievable. Just chicken skin all game long, all Sunday afternoon long. Uh, it was, it was phenomenal. And like the best part about it was if this week happens in like week eight, I think all of us are better trained like I wasn't ready for it. Like I wasn't ready for the level of chaos that we got right out of the jump. Like typically by week, even by like week four, you're like, all right, I've seen a couple of my preseasons over. I'm used to jumping back and forth on red zone, having my laptop up, having my phone out, jumping back and forth between scores, having the book, you know, the sports book up and you're looking through lines and live bet and all that stuff. I felt like so overwhelmed that I like, I didn't bet on anything in the one o'clock window. I put down like one parlay in the four o'clock window because I just needed to like catch a catch my breath, like trying to catch up to everything that was jumping around. In addition to watching the Eagles and and whatever the hell that game was, which was just batshit crazy from the jump. So a uh, whole lot to get to. Let's start with Thursday night. Uh, the Bills Rams season opener. Uh, the Rams did not look good and the Bills looked fucking amazing. And that might be a very simplistic way of coming out and saying it, but that's essentially how it felt. It felt like Josh Allen is even better. He looked like he picked up right where they left off last year. Gabe Davis continues his hot streak. What is it now? Like eight touchdowns in his last like four games or something. Yeah. Um, And then on top of that too, you still have Stephon Diggs over a hundred yards. The defense from Buffalo, that defensive line looks nasty. And then obviously on the other side, you have the Los Angeles Rams who, you know, we think we all, I think we're in agreement. Like the Rams, probably the front runner in the NFC West. The Rams probably going to be one of the top teams in the NFC, but Stafford didn't look great. Uh, the speculation around his arm and the injuries wasn't great. The offensive line looked really rough for Los Angeles, which is something that I think we all thought without Whitworth 
Now that might slip off a little bit, you know, but he was 40. So, you know, how is replacing a 40 year old offense lineman going to necessarily hurt you? It clearly did. Uh, the defense, honestly, considering how electric the bills are to hold them to what was it? 17 points through the first three quarters was actually pretty impressive. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think what we've seen is that this Buffalo team is going to beat teams a lot and they're going to put a lot of points up on the board doing it. And so holding them to 31, I actually think is relatively respectable considering it all, but I don't know. I was really impressed with the bills um, in, in every aspect of it. Josh Allen in particular, I think there's what seven turnovers in that game too. So it was just, you yeah. know, a lot of rust, a lot of craziness. It felt a little bit more like college this week with just some of the errors and guys not playing in the preseason as much, but uh, takeaways from Thursday night football last week. I think my biggest thing, I mean, besides the obvious Josh Allen, Gabe Davis, Stephon Diggs is Devin Singletary looked a lot better. Mm-hmm. Like just in his run power, he's falling forward. Uh, the reports from camp, you know, that Moss uh, and some other guys were, were really challenging him and that he improved drastically with the competition. And I actually saw it, right? You don't know what happens in all these camp talks. And so now we have week one, you can see it. He looked great. He looked so much better than I, I think I've ever really seen him in a Bills uniform. So I was really excited about that. And, uh, and that defense on the Bills side, man, they, they did work as well. That's, that's a unit that, you know, they were the best defense, I think, at the end of the year. Um, uh, you said it right, man. I think they picked up right where they left off and they, uh, they seem to be the team to be coming out and, you know, winning by three touchdowns against the defending champs. That was, that was awesome. And, and again, they're running the ball. And, and they, they ran it well. I mean, Josh Allen has 50, had 56 yards himself. Uh, we always know he can take it and run with it when he needs to. Singletary got eight carries, but came out with 50 yards at the end of it. So, you know, he's averaging just about five yards per carry, uh, actually a little bit over five yards a carry. And that, mm-hmm. again, is huge um, if you're able to just have efficient running, right? They don't have to run the ball. They don't have to get 200 yards every time they, they, they play. But having that threat with how much you can do throwing the football, that is enough for it. And then you look at the wide receiver. I mean, the first three guys in receiving – were their first three wide receivers, Diggs, Davis, and Crowder. And then you get, you know, your little dump-offs. Isaiah McKenney, uh, McKenzie has a touchdown at the end. Uh, Zach Moss at six catches out of the backfield, uh, spreading the ball around. Um, and even though the, things look sloppy at times, the offense looks ridiculous. And I'm with you, Vito. I think the defense from Buffalo is the thing. And they there were some things with them last year that, yes, they graded out by at the end of the season as like number one in total defense, number one in, in defensive efficiency and DVOA. Uh, but there were some holes there. There's some of the turnover luck that they had going their way. Um, but this looked like a, a different version of the offense. This looked like of the defense for Buffalo. This looked like a, we've been saying for a couple of years, they've been building this team to beat Kansas city. And it very much looks like that might be the case. Um, but I, I, I was really impressed with what we saw out of the bills. Uh, Scotty, your takeaway from Thursday night. Uh, that offense is nasty and a, a lot of credit to the front office for revamping that offensive line. I think, you know, I said in our previews that they could be mediocre to above average or slightly above average. Uh, and, you know, the depth that they brought in, they, they really did a good job, especially against what is probably the best defensive line uh, in all of the NFL, even without Vaughn Miller on it. Uh, who had a phenomenal game, by the way, too, for the for the Bills revamping the defense. But uh, the depth they brought in on offensive line, Mitch Morse at center, Roger Saffold, who came in from Tennessee, uh, Ryan Bates, who's a Penn Stater, came in from uh, from the Eagles uh, practice squad as well. But the, and Spencer Brown, of course, has been a mainstay at right tackle. But the the 
the way they played and protected Josh Allen uh, for the most part, I think was, was really well done against one of the best defensive lines in the league. Uh, my question to you guys, uh, look, Josh Allen's really good at running the ball. We know that. Uh, are you concerned at all about the kind of the hits that he took uh, while he was running and, and his durability? Because, I mean, he took some shots. Like He laid one on, on Nick Scott, that, that stiff arm. Uh, but he took yeah. some shots on, on some really tough runs. And, and, you know, I get it. You haven't won the Super Bowl yet. You want to you get there. You want to utilize your best player uh, in that way. Uh, because that's the cheat code, but I, I'm concerned about the durability uh, throughout the season if he's going to get hit that hard. I it's a tough thing, right? It's a tough balance to try to strike between how much is too much and how much do you want to limit what makes a guy special, you right? Know, uh, yeah, and we saw it with Cam Newton, and that's the the comp that they say all the time. I think Josh Allen is a much better thrower, much better passer than um, Cam Newton was, but. The running ability is huge. Now, I would say five to 10 carries is a sweet spot for him per game because he's going to get over 40 yards, probably closer to 50 a lot of the time. He's going to run it in at the goal line. He's always been good at that in his career. And for the most part, he's always been very durable. So it's hard to look at it and say, hey, you know what? This thing you do that makes us from a really, really good team to arguably one of the best, if not the best team in the NFL, you need to, you have to keep it in at some level. Now, is it a concern? Yeah. It's a $150 million player. You know, it's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Of course, you're going to be concerned. But I, I found that, and we even saw this a little bit with Washington, who I really felt like kind of took the handcuffs off of Carson Wentz. And yeah, he did some bonehead Carson Wentz stuff. But when you try to limit what a player does and does well, like what Indianapolis did with Carson Wentz last year, um, it ultimately, they don't feel comfortable. And some players are going to have longer careers than others because – they their style of play just allows for it and i think with josh allen like this is what he does well and if you have an opportunity to win a super bowl you have to let him go ahead and do it yeah and i also i don't know how you know he wants to win the game like you said it was actually pretty close there for a while the end score probably doesn't it reflected the dominance on the field but it didn't reflect it was still closer than people thought right one yeah. bomb could have changed it so a lot <laughs> good bless excuse me live sneeze um so I also think that against the Rams, this happens, you know, if they're playing the bears, I don't think uh, he's taken off as much. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, on the other side here, before we switch to the Sunday games, I'm a, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little concerned about the Rams. Um, and obviously I've, I've told everybody that I was watching with and everyone I've talked football with since Sunday and, and same thing with college football as well. Let's not be week one overreaction people, right. You know, and I know because it's two years in a row now that Green Bay got blown out in week one that yeah, everyone's like, oh, look, look what happened to Green Bay last year. We all wrote them off. And then they only lost one other game for the rest of the season. Um, however, there's some fundamental core structure stuff here with the Rams that was a little concerning. I think Matt Stafford's arm, for one thing, is concerning. Uh, I think the offensive line is very concerning. I'm not worried about the defense. Cooper Cup still look. I mean, Cooper Cup, 13 yeah. catches, 130 yards and a touchdown. He, again, picked up right where he left off. Um, Cam Akers, three carries, zero yeah. yards. What was that? Uh, after he looked good in the postseason last year, after what, his six-month ACL recovery, and then comes in and, and was like, – he fumbled in the playoffs a couple times last year, so he didn't get a ton of reps. But when he did, he still looked explosive. I thought that was weird. I mean, Daryl Henderson looked pretty good considering the defense that they were playing, but um, 
was there anything that stands out to you that makes you rethink maybe the LA Rams here? Or are we just going to chalk this up to, Hey, first week of the year happened to the, you know, the Pats a couple years ago when they played Kansas city, you know, on that Thursday night after winning the Super Bowl, and and they got blown out too. Is there anything that's that's worrisome after Week One for them? Uh, the running back thing to me is is questionable because I know you know going into the season that uh, Sean McVay was keen on on doing the the RBC, the running back by committee, knowing that the durability of both the guys he has, Cam Akers and uh, uh, Darrell Henderson, uh, would be much more viable come the postseason if you're running the two at the same time and not burning one out and having to bring the other one in on the back half of the season uh, as they've done over the last couple of years. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure uh, about, uh, about their, their scheming, but I will say that I think what threw them off most was the guy on the other side on defense who did such a great job for them last year and helped them win a Super Bowl. Von Miller is still a difference maker. Like yeah. he's still an, an elite. I was really impressed. Elite I, pass rusher. I'll tell you, what, I did not think he had that much. I know he had that nice stretch with LA last year, but for him to come out and still look that good after the way that the Broncos tenure kind of ended and a couple of injuries, he had the yeah. Achilles injury there too, right, Vito? Um, yeah. He, yep. he and he came back. He looks great, right? I mean, he, he looks, looks like. He looks like he's prime shape. Two sacks yeah. in the opening game against defending champs. And I agree. They missed that on the Rams side, that edge. Just pressure. what he was able to do to get even like get to the quarterback. It was just, a, and, and, you know, the, the attention he draws to, to, to himself that makes other guys able to go get the quarterback. It was just and a really masterful job by him. So I think it was just the hangover uh, from the Super Bowl yeah. a little bit. You're, you're um, like lowering I said. the banner, you know, you're getting yeah. your rings, you're doing the whole, the whole nine yards. Yeah. You know, that and Von Miller, it's emotional. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, well, let's uh, continue the talk of elite pass rushers with our first Sunday game from week one, Seattle and Cincinnati. Now, to give, and obviously everyone listening to this pod watched all the games or was tuned in, and you know how crazy, obviously, week one was. I asked you guys before we hopped on, like, hey, what game do we start with? And all three of us had completely different answers. So we're just going to work through these games, um, and, and we're going to – because, again, the, the whole first window was just insane. Um, well, I, I do want to start something off here, Jeff, because I forgot to mention this on the kick because we talked before the pod. Mm. Two things. One, can't believe it took us this long. Boys, we have a week one tie. And it's classic. It's interdivisional. This is what we love. We had a goddamn tie yesterday, and it needs to be publicized. We have to change these rules. Every time it happens, we need to talk about it. There should be no ties in American football. We should definitely have a different system in place. Uh, you're just saying that because you're tired you, of blacking you, out. That's what I was going to say. Did you black out? or I, mean... I went off. I had, I had refreshments, if we want to go there. I was also... Um, Yesterday was the in, in my game that I chose, and you said we'll, we'll, we'll touch on a bunch of them, but I was able to go on that trip that we talked about. Mm -hmm. um, so got to go down to Charlotte. PJ we'll Tucker over here. Game. But uh, no, it was it was it was nice. Little little uh, PJ on the way there and back, and we had a great time. Thanks to my boys at BWA and Charlotte Pipe for hooking it up. Um, Shout out so BWA. Much goddamn fun. Play on the that. pipe. We love that. Uh, yeah, we'll get we'll get the full story there when we hit there, which will be coming up quickly because again, that was one of the other the Carolina Cleveland game was another one of those crazy opening window games. Um, but I did want to start with Pittsburgh and Cincinnati mainly because uh, it was the most batshit out of every game. Like all all these games were craziest, but they wore the crown of the craziest. Um, you know, think about all your you know girlfriends over the years. Like there's always one who was crazier than all the other ones. 
That's what this game was compared to week one on Sunday. And the Steelers come out with a huge, huge win that arguably they had no business actually holding on to with the way that the Bengals came back and won that game. There was a lot of weird rule stuff at the end. Joe Burrow coming back and and doing what Joe Burrow does, despite throwing four interceptions and having objectively just a really bad game. Um, And we can talk a little bit about that, too. Um, yeah, I mean, what five turnovers from from Burrow in yeah, this yeah. game? Uh, and the my favorite thing about this, and, and I heard the guys on part of my take talk about this, and it kind of was a light bulb moment. Was kickers in the NFL can never get too good. Like we can never get to a point where we have it like with quarterbacks, where like all the quarterbacks are actually still like pretty solid. Like even your Daniel Jones goes off and wins a game week one. Like all that we need bad kickers in the NFL because bad kickers create so much drama. They create all of the excitement, all the crazy shit all comes down to, to the right foot and occasionally the left foot of, you know, some kid who picked up kicking because he wasn't big enough to play football, you know, and, except fat Randy, except for fat Randy, who once again, <laughs> fat Randy does it again. Uh, but I got to tell you what, like, I'm not too worried about Cincinnati in the long term here, but I was really impressed with Pittsburgh. Uh, and it's an AFC North game. So we know those games always end up getting a little weird, a little bit crazy. And now Pittsburgh's not li- likely not to have TJ Watt for the majority, if not the remainder of the season after tearing yeah. his, his pec muscle, which is a shame. It's the, it's the reigning defensive player of the year. Guy tied the all-time sack record last year, even though he didn't have an extra game to do it. Um, and it's, it's a bummer because what I saw out of this Pittsburgh team was that quintessential thing we talk about with Mike Tomlin, which is that all offseason, we did it last year too when we knew Big Ben was doing his last hurrah, I was like, how the hell is he going to keep up this over 500 streak going? How the hell are they going to get into the playoffs? It's not going to happen. And yet what happens in week one with Mitch Trubisky, who didn't look good, particularly made a couple big plays down the stretch. They just go out and they beat the team that was representing the AFC in the Super Bowl last year. So I think you have yeah. to start with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, I mean, I, I the, the, well, go ahead, Scotty. No, I was going to say I agree. And on defense is where it starts, right? I mean, who saw seven sacks? Uh, against a, a Cincinnati Bengals team that has a revamped offensive line. It's a lot to be of revamped. money yeah. to, to shore up the, the one week spot that they had last year. Uh, and Mika Fitzpatrick comes out in his gangbusters, TJ Watt, Miles Jack, who they signed. This is where it gets mm-hmm. interesting. The guys who they signed in the offseason or, or added, uh, Miles Jack had a great game. Kilo Witherspoon, who's a former 49er, had a great game. Alex uh, Highsmith was the one with three Alex, sacks. I mean, yeah. He- what that was incredible. Yeah. And so look to have, like I said, that, that was really impressive. But to me, the, the key was how did they do that against what is supposed to be one of the better offensive lines now on paper in, uh, in the AFC. Well, I, Cause I don't think, I, I think we probably overhyped Cincinnati's offensive line. And again, this is week one, but this goes back to the not playing in preseason. Like, no offensive starter played in the preseason for Cincinnati. And I know that I tell people all the time, like, hey, like, let's pump the brakes on how, how we overreact to preseason games. And that's in terms of results. But there is something to playing live action, the game routine, getting in the locker room, doing your warm-ups, and then actually going out and playing in a live game in a stadium with those guys next to you. And I think the offensive line looked pretty, you know, miscomb- uh, discombobulated. The whole offense, I mean, think about this, right? Pittsburgh in regulation scored 13 offensive points. That should be enough to win. Mm -hmm. You throw a pick six to Cincinnati, 
right? You have four other turnovers besides that. And, you know, you, you give up seven sacks. That, that's how you lose a game. To me, this is all on Cincinnati. And I'm really pumped about their defense. I thought they did well. But some of those were unforced errors. I haven't seen Joe Burrow look that bad in a very long time. He kind of got it back towards the end, so it was good to see, you know, a couple quarter slump, whatever you want to say. But yeah, uh, I think you're right. I think it's incredible that Pittsburgh came out and got a divisional win this early. I just didn't see this coming. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, and Joe Burrow's defense, too, not trying to be like the old, old, you know, hardcore Joe Burrow homer here, but in Burrow's defense, he did get his appendix taken out in July and missed pretty much all of camp. He, I mean, he didn't do oh, more yeah. than seven on seven all camp. So, like, talking about live reps, like, he didn't do the live practices. He didn't do, you know, contact stuff. So, like, I, I'm not trying to – I'm not saying he didn't play, but he played terrible. And, and Joe he, Burrow would be he, the first one to tell you that. But, yeah, he, he didn't lost, look good. No, I mean, he lost, I think, 15, 25 – 15 to 20 pounds after, after the surgery. Like, that's going to affect you right beforehand. And yet he still threw two touchdowns and threw for yeah. 340 yards. And, and he was and, a little mobile too. I mean, and he had, drove he them had, down the field and threw a touchdown yeah. with one second on the clock. That should have been an extra point. And Hey, we win the game, but it doesn't happen because, and this is something too, that Vito, I know this will be right up your alley. The little things in football, right? We talk about all the times, the ultimate team game. It takes a team effort. Everyone's got to do has a role. No one ever pays attention to long snappers. I could tell you the Eagles long snipe snapper, maybe. And I don't think I could tell you a single other one in the NFL. But when you don't have your long snapper, which they didn't have at the time of the extra point there, it makes a massive difference. The velocity getting it back, the chemistry with the holders, right? They have their little group of holder, kicker, long snapper that they do it every single day and they work on it effortlessly. But it's what, and I think I forget who was doing the, on the broadcast for that game. But he said it's one of those things that you don't realize how important it is until it's not there. I believe that was Ian Eagle at that game. Yeah, well, you can snap it on the sideline all you want to get ready. But until you're having a defensive player standing over you as the center yelling shit in your ear, you know the game's on the line, the pressure. It's totally different. Like, people think, oh, it must be sort of be the kicker, whatever. The holder and the, and the snapper also, if you do anything wrong, it's all your fault. Mm-hmm. And especially in this late of a, a situation, the pressure's there, man. That they definitely feel it. Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. And on offense, too. Look, you guys touched on Joe Burrow. At the end of the day, he was thirty-three. He threw fifty-three passes, completed thirty-three of them uh, for three hundred thirty-eight yards. It's a pretty damn good day at the end of the day. A lot of that came in overtime because he had to throw the ball, or like down the stretch because he had to throw the ball. I was more. And shout out to to my buddy Mike, who's a, a listener of the podcast, Cincinnati Bengals season ticket holder. I was texting him during the game. I said, "What's going on with the play calling? Because they put themselves in these weird positions, right? They're third and goal. They're they're running a, a little uh, like a pitch play to the uh, to the tight end up the middle. What yeah. is that? Why would you do that? And then you force yourself to throw to the short side uh, because that's where you've you've run the route for Jamar Chase, and everybody knows that's where the ball is going. So uh, it's stuff like that when you're trying to get back into the ball game and it's a one-possession game that, like, I didn't understand a lot of the play calling. Or that, or you'd, like, run up the middle with Joe Mixon after he spent all day getting stuffed. Like, I, it just it seemed weird to me on the play calling. So if you clean yeah. that up a little bit, I mean, you've got the weapons, clearly. Uh, and that was a tough defense that and you guys, th- their weapons did a good job against. Yeah, and you guys know my kind of, like, rule when it comes to criticizing play calling, which is, like, for the most part, like we don't, we're not in the meetings. We don't know. We right. can all sit there and be armchair expert yeah. and say this. But I will say the only time I really kind of 
will break that rule is when it does seem very apparent. Like when it seems obvious and like egregious that like that seems just like you're doing too much there. And to me, like I'm, I'm with you, Scott, like I thought the play calling was really odd in certain situations, particularly in the red zone, um, especially when you have Joe Burrow. Now, I think part of it was I think they had no confidence in their offensive line. I think they had and they felt the need. Hey, we got to do something gimmicky. We have to do something here that's, that's going to be different. Um, and when you have a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick, who is wrecking you at the line of scrimmage and then is also de- you know back and giving you safety help on Jamar Chase, who Jamar Chase still had 130 yards and a touchdown. So it's not like, you know, Jamar Chase didn't have a long day. But by all intents and purposes, the Bengals won this game, right? By the skin of their teeth, they won this game. But they didn't kick the extra, the extra point, didn't go in, right? And so that, at That's the end it. of the day, it's still going to be a loss. But if you're a Bengals fan, if you are the Bengals yourselves, you walk away from this game being like, hey, we played like shit and we still should have won this game to the point where we literally yeah. had a walk-off touchdown and all we had to do was just kick an extra point and our long snappers then, out. Well, then also in overtime, you had a field goal. What do you miss, a 29-yarder? Which was, uh, I believe, also on the long snapper holder situation as well. Yeah, which which the whole point, right, that unit has got to feel like shit because – I mean, listen, we almost had another tie. Let's be, let, let me just tell you why I'm really mad. We almost had a second tie <laughs> here. Um, the Bengals and Steelers should have ended in a tie. There's nothing been again, a tie. like a conference teams tying it up. Uh, and I just, I don't know. It was so close after that miss. I was like, here we go. And then I could not believe, uh, you know, the, let the Steelers go down there and, and get the, uh, get their own field goal. That was, yeah. uh, that was wild. And sure. Trubisky pulling a rabbit out of his hat there at the end was, mm-hmm. was wild. Uh, let's, you know what? Let's talk about the tie game. Let's, let's do talk, it. Jeff. Let's do it. Because I know, I know Vito's we're talking about ties. We'll do the tie game Colts and Texans. Um, the Colts putting up 17 points in the fourth quarter, mounting <laughs> a furious comeback. Uh, the Colts didn't look good. I, I couldn't decide if this was as much the Colts not looking good or as impressed as I was with the Texans because the Texans showed out and played the Texans gave off some like Detroit lions vibes from last year, just fighting everything out into the very, very bitter end. Davis mills had some great throws. Yeah. Uh, the flea flicker play down the middle was a great throw. That was like a 50 yard completion. Um, the everyone's fantasy darling, Damian Pierce didn't have that great of a game, but he showed some flashes here and there. Uh, and then the Colts on the other side, I mean, I don't understand how they weren't able to run the football behind their offensive line. I don't understand how – I mean, Michael Pittman had a great catch, but Matt Ryan – Matt Ryan looked not good. But you would never know this. If you looked at the numbers, Matt Ryan's 32 of 50, 352 in a touchdown. Jonathan Taylor's 31 carries, 161 in a touchdown. Michael Pittman's nine catches, 121 yards in a touchdown. 12 times out of 10, that game is Indianapolis by 24. Yeah, if you like, told if you told me those stats before, like, hey, this is what they're going to finish with, I would have taken Indianapolis all day. Yeah. yeah. Well, dude, but, I, and, well, no, I was just going to say, I mean, not only was it that, they, they didn't really get started again. You said 17 fourth quarter points. They didn't really have it going. The Texans looked great. Uh, well, I shouldn't say great. They looked way better than ex- expectations were. I think we can universally probably say that. They looked a lot better again. I was kind of catching it as I could and then watch highlights later and um, we were I remember they were up 17 zone. going into the fourth quarter. They looked good. Like that's like yeah. I don't even I, I don't even think you can say like oh I don't know like no they did look good. Yeah, and OJ Howard like I, I like that. I, like hey, who was who's who was irrationally in love with OJ Howard still when he when we that's said he was you, on baby. Buffalo and then he got released released two days after that podcast came out. Well, never dude, gave I, up on OJ Howard. <laughs> there we go. You got your supporters here, buddy. 
Uh, I love it, OJ. You should, you should. I, I love a good OJ too, right? Of course, he's like the next famous OJ player. The balls, mm. right? To name your Careful. kid OJ still <laughs> is is wild, and have him be in the NFL. I'm just saying that's he was that's, probably uh, born around the time the verdict came out. So you know, who's to say? They could, they yeah, were probably right. just on one side or the other. It was it was a crazy time. It was, but I think the point of the game to get back to it is the the number one thing that I have to take away from this in overtime. Lovey Smith decides to fucking punt the ball. I'm so glad you're bringing this up just to play for a tie. And apparently cited that his defense was gassed and he did that. he thought the tie was better than a potential loss, which technically it's not really like, what are you doing? Whatever. And now, for that franchise though, but where they're at right now, ties as good as a win. That's what I said in the group chat. Ty is not like, as good as a win. Statistically. It's so just not. It's, and it, I, it actually is, but Okay, no. So a tie is better than a loss, but it's not better than a win statistically. However, to me, this is a we have football. You have you have man cards. You know, take away. I got to take a man card there. This is a football football guy card for Lovey Smith. This is a football guy card. This is a football. I Lovey Smith. I'm sorry. I'll grant you that. (laughs) I'm taking a football guy card from you. All right. And I love the beard. I loved seeing him back on the sidelines in the NFL, you know, situation, not at Illinois where he was, you know, sent out to Siberia going to Champlain basically (laughs) for the last, you know, six (laughs) years. Um, But dude, like I was sitting on the couch watching and I was like, he's, I know because it was like fourth and 10, I think. So it wasn't like easy and they were going to get the ball right in field goal range. But like, dude, you got to go for it, man. Everyone on your, every player on that team, if you ask them, goes like, Fuck yes, go for that. Yeah, and at least okay. This goes back to the whole point of ties and why I love them. This rule needs to be changed. There is no way that you should be able to punt and play defense and have it end in a tie. That is just not the way that a football game should end. There is no way that that should be a realistic outcome for the NFL in 2022. But is I that? Think but isn't that better than playing two point conversion? You know, knockout yes. like they do, and so. So what's, yeah, I mean, is. but you can't have them keep playing. Like Glovey Smith even said, like these dudes are fucking gas as it is. And the players association would never approve a, a second overtime for that exact reason. Well, first of all, yeah, they used to have it and they cut it down already. Right. And then now at this point, why don't you again, do like college and have from the 40 yard on the opponent's 40 yard and go back and forth. It'll cut down on most overtime games in general. Hmm. Like, I, I just don't think that this, this solution here, Right, like start on the opponent's forty. It's a long ass field goal, and if you get a first down, you get closer. Great, all that stuff. But then, then we're we're talking more of a series here or there, uh, than a field goal or whatever. Instead of a long drive, a missed field goal, a long, a good drive, and then it stalls and they punt, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's this kind of stuff that we saw out of again the, the four teams in overtime this week, which the Steelers, the Bengals, the Colts, and the Texans. It was like, what what the fuck are we watching here? Like we watched a lot of football for not much quality. And I think the rules gotta change and have something more so where you're already in scoring range and then and then see what happens there. Fuck, from there. I'll go to a kickoff. You know, I don't give a shit. I just something has to change. Well, I just meanwhile, I was it's, gonna it's, say I just watched Game of Thrones and and uh, the news the new series that's out, and I know they say like you know, a tie's like kissing your sister. Like nobody likes it, but everyone likes Game of Thrones, and that's got plenty of it involved. So maybe the tie's not as bad. Maybe I'm just watching too much Game of Thrones in, in addition <laughs> to watching football. That maybe ties aren't as appalling to me as they once were. But meanwhile, it's classic AFC South and significance in the score. The Houston Texans tied 2020. That was when this whole debacle started. It was 2020? The year before they were in first place. So yeah, tides well, and- turning in Houston. Oof. 
And the other crazy thing too, is they both, both games would have ended 2020 in ties, which would have just been, would have been too much. I also love, and this has been going around like crazy on social media, but it's still worth bringing up. The AFC South started 0 and 4, or sorry, the AFC South started winless this week and two teams played each other, which (laughs) I just, I love. I love love that. Love that for them. Um, All right, let's go to, Man, it's so hard to pick. We'll do let's let's talk about Cleveland and and, Panth- and Carolina. We'll talk about the Baker Bowl. Um, this the first quarter of this game was ugly. Like, and Vito, you were there, so feel free yeah. to, to set the stage for us and, and everything. Obviously, you were sitting in a box and all all decked out, and you had your little private jet flight Sunday morning. You were you were cruising. Um, but the whole lifetime. first half of this game was just ugly. And car- credit to Carolina for at least making a big push in the second half of this game. Yeah, let's just say just to start. It's a once in a lifetime thing. I don't want any listener to think this is how my life. No, you do this every it, weekend, dude. How do yeah. we, everyone's like, oh, so that's how he goes from Cleveland to Philly all the yeah, time. Yeah, right. Oh, it's no, okay. super nice. No, I was telling dude, like the baked cookies on a flight. Like it was just nuts. Anyway, um, so in this game, we got there and all right, you've probably heard it since the game, but to start off, you gotta understand I'm with all Browns fans, I'm in my Jim Brown jersey. We're like, let's do this. And Browns fans, Browns, since they got their franchise back in 99, were 121 and one in opening weekend, opening weeks. It's going around a lot, but that, that attitude was very prevalent, even in the first quarter when it didn't start great. And they're like, man, we can run the ball a little bit. I don't know why it's not working out as well as it seemed like we should. Brissett did not look like he was in any urgency to get through his reads. He's like, no. for whatever reason, he's also just so like, he doesn't feel that much pressure. feel like it's kind of good. But then all of a sudden you're like, dude, you got to speed this up here. He's like boring Jameis. Yes, that's like a great way like, to describe him. It's like it's like it's like yeah. I don't feel like you're seeing the field, but instead of Jameis just throwing it at somebody who's wearing a helmet, regardless of color, on the other side there, <laughs> Jacoby Brissett's like, eh, I guess I, I yeah. guess I'll just hold on to this. I don't know. Well, and then on the Panthers side, it was like everyone was stoked to have Baker. I think after just what they've had at quarterback in the last few years, they were obviously just high on it. And then McCaffrey being back. The stadium was going crazy, but I have to say both those guys in the first quarter, Baker must have had, uh, this is not an exaggeration. I don't I, I should look this up, but at least five or six tip passes. And there were like four in the first quarter. It was wild. Everything he tried to throw, that defense, I mean, they just waited back and jumped and batted him down. Um, so, yeah, it started off as a very ugly game. I mean, it was 0-0 in the first quarter. And uh, then really, you know, as we were watching it, the run game got going for Cleveland, which was good. Um, and then, I mean, I don't know what you guys like. How, how did it seem from your standpoint before we get to the end of this? It seemed like Jacoby Brissett's not a good quarterback. Uh, it seems like Cleveland's going to be in a lot of trouble because this offense is pretty anemic. Um, they can run the ball, but I, I was surprised that they were but as successful the- running the ball as they were considering Carolina was just – loading the box on them for yeah, the majority yeah. of the game. Um, so I, I'll say this Cleveland's offensive line um, looked really, really good. Uh, and then on the other side, it felt like Baker came in with super, super high energy. You know, he wanted to win this game bad. He wanted to win it all on the first drive. And once he got settled into the game, he played really well. You know, it wasn't like, you know, also it wasn't like the best version of Baker, but considering what he had around him, the Robbie uh, Anderson touchdown pass was fantastic. The running touchdown up the middle was quintessential Baker. You know, everything's open, and yet he's quick enough to just step up and make the right play. Like, I felt like for the most part, he made the right plays when they were there. 
Um, I think the receiving core in Carolina is, is not very helpful. And I thought it was weird that Carolina didn't use McCaffrey a ton. And we talked about this a little bit before the show, but it felt like he was on a little bit of a pitch count. Um, only had 10 carries. They did use him at the goal line. The, you know, he went a little mm-hmm. helicopter mode over the top there in the end zone, but um, all, all in all, I mean, I was not, I'll put it this way, especially in the second half, Cleveland's defense was not very impressive. And that I think was a little disappointing considering that I was pretty high on Cleveland's defense coming into this. Um, but Carolina, I, th- I still think Carolina is going to be a pretty good team. And I think this had this week had so much emotion into it for Baker that it became more about that rather than the game. And once they got settled into the game, they played a lot better football. So I would expect them moving forward to still be a really frisky team. I agree with you, Jeff. I, and from what we saw at a Tampa last night against uh, relatively mediocre looking Dallas defense, the FC South is wide open, put it that way. Uh, so, so there are games to be had there. Um, at, at their highest point of win probability, Carolina was, it was a minute left in the fourth quarter. Uh, and Jacoby Brissett had just gotten sacked on first down. Carolina had a 72.7% win probability at that point. And from there, it was all Browns, man. But my only problem with, with their, the way their offense ran, well, I mean, apart from they had no passing game, but my only problem with the running offense, uh, is that it looked pretty good. The offensive line is really good, but then they abandon it when they get to the red zone. Like, I, and that I did not understand. Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you what, the line, they brought in the extra linemen um, to block. Like they were running to your point against eight to nine man boxes legitimately. And at the end it was 10 and they were still getting first downs. I, I don't, you know, they just basically, right. They didn't get touchdowns in the second half. That's why the Browns had a close game. The Panthers, in the fourth quarter, um, so so let me let me bring you into the stadium here, right? Browns fans are like, okay, we're winning, but we're waiting for the Browns moment where we always lose the opening weekend, and they punt and Baker in like a minute scores a touchdown that Robbie Anderson throw, and everyone's like, what the hell? Here we go, right? And mm-hmm. then they go down to score again, and then all of the sudden it's like, okay, we have no time. And Brissett, to your point, that that win percentage piece gets sacked, but they call a personal foul. Uh, and so he gets, they get 15 yards and get to keep playing. I will say Donovan Peoples Jones looks like he's taking a step up. I really liked what I saw out of him. He was winning his one-on-one matchups. He looked good. He is catching very contested passes. You you called that. I mean, you were high on him coming into the year and and he was one of the guys that you really liked. Um, I would love to see him with a more competent quarterback Mm -hmm. because there were flashes over the last couple of years with Baker, um, with him where you were like, damn, like, you know what? Like, yeah, he, he could be a nice player, but he was, you know, fighting for time between Jarvis and Odell Beckham and then, you know, kind of yeah. everyone else they had there. So, uh, no. I don't know. Well, then interesting. Uh, Any other thoughts uh, there? Um, well, Amari Cooper didn't look good. I'll say that. No. It, it, it Like, he looked – it was just not impressive in person. And then the last thing we need to get to is just the fact that at the end of the game they go down and Cade York, a fourth-round pick from this mm-hmm. year, a rookie, kicks a 58-yarder from the logo. It's the new standard from the Panthers logo. The logo. He kicks it through. Everyone went nuts. I've never seen, like, I've been to a couple of Browns games where they've won. I mean, just winning a game in that fashion, we were going nuts. You turn around, there's still two games in overtime on red zone. Just that was the way we kicked off Sunday, at least that, you know, when I was there. And, and just all these games, I think it just speaks to the craziness, but it also just speaks to the fact that the Browns feel like they have every position ready. And literally the conversation was, man, we just got to somehow not get killed over the next 10 weeks. 
that was the conversation, right? It's like, we have the quarterback answer. It's just, we got to wait for it. Mm -hmm. And how, like, how do we just not suck too much during that time was kind of the whole talk around Cleveland. So, and then I think like you said, on the Panthers side, it was like, Hey, it wasn't bad. Um, you know, it started off poor, but I think they, they came out and showed something. So it should have more there later this year. Yeah. And I, uh, the one other thing too, about that kick, that kick was like beautiful. They like not just like 70 nice little baby I mean, draw. It, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like it looked like a golfer, <laughs> like hitting a, a deep yeah. draw, like a bomb draw off the drive, like a Rory draw. Like it came out and came in right off the right side. And yeah, it was a 58 yarder, but it went in from like, it was halfway up the goalpost. Yeah. That was, was in from incredible. at least 70. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was one of the, the prettiest kicks I've ever seen in addition to just being impressive um, on the links, but I don't know. I mean, like uh, like a lot of these week one games, I don't know how much we really learned about either team. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, I think that game had extra juice in it that made it a little uh, a little different. But, you know, ultimately, it still was a good game. Uh, all right, let's speed up a little bit here. We'll talk Saints-Falcons. Um, the Falcons just, A, I, I thought the Falcons would be frisky in this game. So I'm, I'm glad that I had, I, I had the cover there at least. Um, but the Saints coming in, Jameis throwing 200 yards in the fourth quarter and uh, and still almost finding a way to blow it with <laughs> Young Way Koo at the very end with a 63-yard attempt but that the Saints were able to block. But um, just a, a drunken all – the, all the, comp- or the divisional games that we had were, with the exception, I guess, Miami and New England, were like, like super drunk, like just craziness. Yes. Um, I kept looking up at the scoreboard, and I think I even said this on Friday's pod, I was like, I felt like this was going to be one of those games where you look up in the third quarter and you're like, wait, Atlanta's winning by how much? And it's the third quarter. And then all of a sudden, you know, Jameis turns it on it. And what I liked out of this from Jameis was the first three quarters were doing what we said, you know, not to do with Carson Wentz and Josh Allen's upwards. Like he was trying not to be Jameis. And then finally in the fourth quarter, it was like, fuck it. We're just going to sling this rock all over the field, and we're going to try to make something happen. And sometimes with Jameis, it works out great, and you walk away with a one-point win that you probably had no business winning the entire game. And then other times you throw five interceptions, and you're hilarious, and it doesn't work out. But I got to give credit where it's due. He looked good. Jarvis Landry looked awesome. Uh, Michael, Michael Thomas, Thomas looked great. Yeah, right? Michael Thomas, yeah, he had a touchdown in there. I still, still, not, buying, still not buying it. Not just saying. How, about, how do you feel about Mariota? I was impressed. I uh, was too. And I'm high on him, but that, that like, man, that was good. Cool. His running the ball was incredible. Which he's always been great at. But I yeah. thought, honestly, the Falcons offensive line, which was by all accounts, the worst offensive line in football last year, they came to play impressively. So um, they were able to run the ball. Cordero Patterson, like finally, yeah. after 18 million years of playing in the NFL is like, Hey, he's found a spot where someone's willing to just treat him as a normal running back all the time. And He's been really good for them. Uh, I, I I liked a lot. And the crazy thing, too, is they did all this without Kyle Pitts doing anything. Yeah. Mariota forced it to him. I think he had like seven or eight targets, but he you know, yeah. only ended up with what? One, two catches, Scotty, right? So Yeah, Drake uh, London looked good, too, though. Mm-hmm. Speaking two of catches, Falcons yeah. receivers. Um, but yeah, man, that my big takeaways from this game, if the Saints play every quarter like it was the fourth quarter of this game, they'll be 6-0 <laughs> in the division. Uh, and Young Kwe Koo is kick god. 50, 40, or 54, 50, and 40 uh, were his first three kicks. Unbelievable. That dude is amazing. And he didn't get the chance to get the 63-yarder off, which is, I, I mean, that would have been the capper. 
And now talk about too. Who was the safety for uh, New Orleans that almost fucked a, fucked them up at the end? Lattimore. Lattimore. <laughs> oh, that's right. It was the cornerback. Yeah, it was, it was Marshawn Lattimore. Like, man, to have that like body slam play, and all of a sudden, you're, oh, you're going to give us 15 yards, and with an yeah. amazing kicker, you're going to give us a shot here at the end. Um, yeah, I mean the wide receivers. Yeah, I mean Drake London, five catches for 74 yards against a good secondary, <laughs> uh, and then my man Zucchini there, uh, four mm. catches for 50 yards. Shout out to him as well. Um, I don't know. I, I, I thought the Falcons would be in more trouble this year. Um, just because I, I still don't, I mean, I like Mariota. Mariota. He played well, fumbled the ball twice. Other than that, you know, threw the ball. Okay. And then yeah, did some stuff with his legs, but this was just like a frisky, weird divisional game. I still don't think Atlanta is going to be very good, but the offensive line was the big standout. And then the Saints defense, Everyone came into this year talking about, man, you know, Cam Jordan and Marcus Davenport's finally break. Marcus Davenport's been in the league for this is like his fifth season, and he's never broken out the way there aren't defensive ends who take five years to break out, especially one that's six foot seven and built the way that he's built. He's a solid rotational, maybe a starter uh, at the end. But the way people were talking about this defense, like they were going to be the same team as last year after losing Marcus Williams and losing uh, Malcolm Jenkins. And Cam Jordan's been a consummate pro for and, and an all-pro guy for, for 12 years. But he's 12 years in the league. He's not going to be that guy anymore. So And, and Demario Davis is a stud. So it's not like they're they all got Tyron bad, Matthew, but, too. <laughs> but even Tyron Matthew's on the downside of his career. And, and he's a huge guy to have in, that, in a locker room. Don't get me wrong. I would kill to have you know, Tyron Matthew be a starter on the Eagles. There's nothing bad about him, but I think as a whole, I was just a little bit, I, I didn't understand the obsessive like love for the saints being like, Oh, they're a top three defense and Atlanta hung 26 on you in the first game and, and did so pretty comfortably and, and put up a lot of yards too. I mean, they had over 200 yards in the air and over 200 yards on the ground, 416 yards from a bad Atlanta offense at least projected bad Atlanta offense. Um, but shout out to the Saints. They got it done in the end. Uh, any other thoughts mm-hmm. on that game before we move on? Uh, two highs winning quarterbacks. It was cool to see them. Were they the same draft? Yeah, 2015. Yeah, remember they, yeah. they, they, one, they two. were the two. one, two. Yeah, they were the, I didn't even put that together, Vito. Damn. Yeah. And both on new teams now too. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, they were the they were the two battling it out that, that whole year, man. That was God, that was like my championship too. Oregon beat him in, in the playoffs with it was yeah. It, just what, uh did they play to see in both the national championship? No, they played in the playoffs and and I think Oregon beat Jameis. And that was when he did his famous, like, we can go out and play tomorrow if we want to. And I was like, No, you actually can't, Jameis. I'm sorry. Uh, you're out of the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, I guess the, I guess that was the Oregon first lost. Year. It was the first playoff ever. It was the first Oregon, playoff, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Oregon lost to Ohio State in the final. That's yeah. right. Yeah, because then Oregon got the got shit pumped by him. That's yeah. right. Um, all right. Well, let's move on. Uh, next up here, Jacksonville and Washington. Um, another game between weird teams. And this is one too, where it's like, Oh, this was a competitive game, but like, Oh, Jacksonville came back and they made a nice run. And honestly, Jacksonville probably should have won this game. Uh, and Washington holds on, but I feel like this is going to be one that because it was week one, we're like, Oh, this game was awesome. But if this game happened in week 10, once we see nine weeks of both of these teams, you'd be like, who's watching? Like Red Zone wouldn't even put this on one of the TVs because both yeah. teams are, are bad. I, I mean, who knows? They both could be good teams that are pretty good teams at least, um, or they both could be terrible, and this was the result of two terrible teams. But either way, it was entertaining as hell. Um, and look, you know, look, I'm not rooting for Washington, but as someone who rooted for Carson Wentz, 
it was really cool to see him make some of the big plays that he made. You know, he looked so much more like 2017 version of Carson in this, in this game than I've seen him before. Now, he also looked like 2019 and 2020 Carson Wentz at certain <laughs> points. Um, but some of the big throws were awesome. And the most impressive player in this game was y'all's boy, Jahan Dotson, who yeah, yeah. came onto the scene in a huge way. In week Two tutties. I mean, Both the guy's got dinner plates for hands, so and uh, it's not surprising. Like, yeah, sick uh, it was, catch. It was unbelievable. Uh, the, the acrobat, uh, the acrobatic catches that he had. But uh, for Carson Wentz to come in and and not only, I mean, he was spreading the ball around pretty good in the in the first half of the game. Curtis Samuel had a touchdown. McLaurin had a touchdown. Uh, Antonio Gibson had a couple of great catches. Um, but like seven receivers, he completed the ball to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so for for him to trust Jahan, especially late in the game. Uh, like that was it was really cool to see as a, as a Penn State fan, obviously. No, I, I think for me that for me, what was actually wild was and it kind of goes back to fantasy implications is how much James Robinson was still involved in the offense. I know ETM was coming in. I mean, James Robinson had two touchdowns, mostly one on the catch, but he, six yards a pop on, on rushing the ball. Um, you know, I, I thought that was more than I thought it would be. And I was I was pleasantly surprised to see that involvement and then. Um, you know, I got to say, I, this was one that wasn't shown much on, on red zone, at least for when I was watching and I was distracted, obviously with the live game, but, um, how did, how did Antonio Gibson look to you, Jeff? Cause I saw him, like, he was really involved in the offense, both receiving and rushing. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't able to catch most of it. Like was, does he still have it? Cause he was falling in fantasy and I didn't really understand why. So he had some troubles last year, Ball, you know, holding onto the ball. And I think he fell out of the good graces of the coaching staff a little bit. And particularly in the fan bases, living in this area, hearing a lot from Washington fans who were really down on him. And I didn't really get it either. Um, because when he's played other than, yeah, I mean, a couple of fumbles here and there, whatever, but Washington was a bad team last year. So, yeah. you know, I guess there's some things that just, I even I missed, but I thought he looked pretty good. And I thought it was crazy how late he was going in fantasy drafts. Um, he's still a really good weapon out of the backfield. And look, I like Brian Robinson. Obviously we all want him to come back soon and healthy. And it looks like he could be back as early as week five after getting shot twice in the leg, like three weeks ago, which is insane to think about. Um, but Brian Robinson was not like some, (coughs) excuse me, was not like some like explosive running back at Alabama. It took Brian Robinson four years to become the starting running back at Alabama. And he was kind of the running back starter by default last year um so i i didn't really get that all too much and i thought he looked really good holding i mean he ran hard he always runs hard um and again he was a wide receiver in college at memphis before getting you know turned into a running back his senior year same thing happened to kenny gainwell so leading receiver out of the backfield seven catches 72 yards Um, he led the team he looked good he He, he looked and that's a team too that has really good wide receivers Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel with a touchdown. First time he's been healthy since he's been in Washington. And then Jahan Dotson catches three balls and two of them are for touchdowns, um, both of which were just sick, sick plays. Um, And I'll say this. I mean, they're going to lose a lot of games because of Carson Wentz, but the plays that Wentz made, and he looks like he slimmed down a little bit too. I felt like he looked a little bulky the last couple of years. Hmm. He looked he looked good when he looked like when he looked good, like the high end stuff, he looked really good. Um, but he still did a couple of the interceptions were just awful. They, they were just bad. Uh, and he did get fumble. He, I think he had a fumble force on him at one point too, but they recovered it. So uh, not, not 
I'll say this. He looks more like the Carson Wentz that will win you games versus the one who's afraid to lose you games, which is what he was in Indianapolis over the last couple of years. Uh, Trevor mm-hmm. Lawrence, I thought, looked really solid. I think his receivers right had, until the very end. <laughs> yeah. And even so, I think his wide receivers had like five drops yesterday. Um, ETN had a walk-in touchdown. Oh, yeah. Uh, and ETN had two drops, too, yesterday alone. Um, he had a walk-in touchdown at the goal line on that little fa- on a little uh, flat route. And Trevor Lawrence put it exactly where it needed to be. Um, the one thing I've seen with Trevor is I feel like his misses um, – I'll put it this way. I feel like he's putting the ball in places where either your receiver is going to make an amazing catch or it's going to hit the ground you know, or it's, it's going to be out of bounds or it's going to be short. Like he did a really good job of taking care of the ball. I – and my guess, too, is part of that is probably what, what Doug is trying to get him to do, right, especially after everything that happened last year. But I kind of want to see them open it up a little bit more with him. I kind of want to see him use some of the skills and the abilities that he had that made him such a consensus number one overall pick that made him one of the highest-ranked prospects um, in NFL history. Because so far, we see flashes of it. Yeah. But it feels like they really are holding him into this tightly concealed box of like, this is where you have to be. Um, but I don't know, maybe, I mean, Christian Kirk had, you know, a monster yeah. day for him, um, a huge play. So like we're seeing flashes of it. And I would expect by midseason, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to look a lot more comfortable. Um, but to me, this was like second half of the year, Trevor Lawrence, like post uh, Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence in week one this year, which means he's on the same trajectory moving forward, which I think is good for Jacksonville, Jacksonville fans. Um, anything else here on this game before we move on? No. All right. Well, let's go. I'll leave it up to you guys. Do we want, let's, let's go to your team. Come on. Well, this is I a was, great game. So, so I was going to say, do we want to go with the ugly or, or the, uh, the Eagles? <laughs> I'm ready to talk about the Eagles here. All right. I think this was wild. Every time I'll just say this. I don't know exactly what happened in this game. Every time I looked up at red zone, we were in the stadium. It was like, Oh, this is close. So Eagles are blowing them out. What the hell is Detroit's back? And then all of a sudden it was like, what's going on the fourth. This was nuts. So I want to hear you from your perspective. All right. Let's talk about the birds. Um, Really, really good win considering how poorly some aspects of the team played Uh, the defense there's some big problems. Um, but the reason I categorize this as a big win for the Eagles is because they won it because of Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown. Those are, that, those are the, number, the number one reason the Philadelphia Eagles won this game was because of Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown. And I put more of the credit for Jalen, honestly. Um, there will be Eagles fans who will come out there, and I was watching one with my who was an Eagles fan, my roommate, he was, why is he, why is he jumping everything down? Like he's not looking downfield. Oh, he's just picking a scramble. His decision-making in that game and processing was unlike anything we saw from him last year, his reads, if it was one, two, not there, tuck it and run. And he got blitzed more than any quarterback in the NFL last year. He came, or this week, he was the number two highest uh, graded passer by PFF after week one. And wow. he was, he was blitzed at like a 60% clip. They were at his throat constantly. He was running around like, like, and not just blitzes where it's like, oh, they're sending one linebacker. They had multiple blitzes yesterday where they were sending eight guys and loading up the box and not hiding it. And the Eagles had five offensive linemen, a tight end, and a running back. And so it's every one-on-one for everybody. 
And that includes Jalen Hurts, who has has to be responsible for one of the blitzers. So I was really, really impressed with Jalen. Um, the numbers are not, if you look at, oh, 18 for 32, 243 yards, like, all right, like that's. Yeah, he ran you know, for 90 fine. yards. But he also ran for 90 yards and did it as a last result, a uh, last resource. And on top of it, too, the Eagles ran the ball at will. 216 yards on the ground, four was, t- rushing touchdowns to four different guys. Uh, and they did all this without getting Devontae or um, Quez Watkins involved in the passing game either. I mean, A.J. Brown had a monster day, and holy shit, is it fun having A.J. Brown on your football team. Yeah. Highly recommend it to anybody out there. If you can ever get A.J. Brown on your football team, it's a great and very, very fun thing to watch. Especially for a first-round pick. I feel like that just it was so elite. I mean, it's it, it's – night and day like they had a play at the end of the first half where they had less than it was less i think it was like a minute and 30 seconds left on the clock and it was a third down play and jalen hurts the only time he really aired it out deep gorgeous deep ball one-on-one to aj brown just said you go get it and it was a perfectly thrown ball and aj brown had about a half step on the guy and he takes it away and then is carrying this dude down to the five yard line and now they didn't get to punch it in, but they walk over the field goal. But as we see from the final score, that field goal ended up being huge. And getting that points at the end of the first half when they weren't in field goal range and the clock was running out was really, really important. Um, and, and I just I was so impressed with the decision making. And I think the biggest thing here is Detroit said, let's look at what Tampa Bay did in the playoffs, which was blitz the ever living fuck out of Jalen Hurts, despite this really, really good offensive line. If we send seven guys, they only got five good offensive linemen. We're going to get pressure somehow. And the fact that Hertz was able to overcome that and still play really, really well, and they were still able to beat him and beat them, even with all the blitzing, means that teams down the line are not going to continue to use that, you know, quote unquote, like solution to how you beat Jalen Hurts, right? If everyone's like, yeah. oh, this is how you beat Jalen Hurts, just blitz him. He proved that, no, that's not that you're not going to be able to do that and just beat him that way. So Hertz absolutely won the day for the Eagles. The defense, um, weirdly enough, didn't play terrible. Um, but talk about like amazing impact right away. Uh, when Jordan Davis was in the game, the Detroit Lions averaged 2.1 yards per rush. When he was out of the game, they averaged over 10. Hmm. Whoa. Sort of seems like he should be playing more. So, holy shit, Jordan Davis. Um, every time Love he came that. into the game, it was like must-watch. Uh, Kazir White and uh, TJ Edwards both flying around the field. Kazir White made an unbelievable tipped play, tipped pass that went to James Bradbury, who took it back. Uh, the secondary looked really solid. And I just – I really – it felt like momentum stuff with Detroit, and that's why I wasn't too concerned with the Detroit kind of coming back and stealing it because this is what Detroit did all last year. And they did it to Green Bay. They did it to Minnesota. They did it to New Orleans. They did it to good, good football teams last year. Baltimore, they did it, where it seemed like it was out of touch. And the next thing you know, the Lions are like, how the hell is this a close game? So I've seen a lot of people be like, well, how how did the Lions – you know, how good can this Eagles team be if they gave up 35 points to the Lions? I think that's just what the fucking Lions are. And and that's the thing, too. I think the Lions are pretty damn good football team because in the first half, two minutes left in in the second quarter, Jared Goff had 11 passing yards. And the Eagles forced like three straight three and out. So I, I think the defense is going to be fine. Um, I just think this was a Detroit Lions team that is gritty, that constantly fights back and never gives up. And I think the Eagles, I, I think from what I saw from Jalen Hurts, it's hard to walk away from this and not be like super impressed. 
Well, no, it's good to hear because obviously sometimes you look at statistics and you're like, oh, it was an okay game. And, and you don't see it, right? Once you see it, you know. And I think one thing that I was excited to see was the running game from Detroit. And obviously, mm-hmm. again, like you said, I, I didn't realize that stat and, you know, I didn't watch the full thing. But I can tell you what, every time they were flipping back or showing highlights, it was impressive to see DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams with a couple touchdowns, which you love to see. Um, well, unless you're, you know, have DeAndre Swift. I was going to say, then. yeah. Uh, but it was, it was really, really cool to see all, all of that go down. And then, uh, you know, on the receiving side, Amon Ross St. Brown, Shark looked like he got involved a little bit. Um, yeah, Shark I, I had just think- one incredible touchdown catch. Like just, and it was a perfectly thrown football from Jared Goff. And he mossed Darius Slay, which Slay yeah. does not give up touchdowns. Like he, I think he gave up two all of last year. Um, and and just DJ Shark made an unbelievable play. But uh, Amon Ross St. Brown was definitely the most impressive player in that wide receiver room for Detroit in that game. Um, and and this is the thing people don't talk about with Detroit. Detroit probably has a top five offensive line. They do. They have a great line. This offense, I think this, this the like you know time will tell. But I bet you that this doesn't reflect as negatively on the Eagles defense as it does show you the trend that we're about to see the Detroit offense have this year. I really believe that. And that's what I was trying to say, too, is I think Detroit is I think they looked very similar to the team that they were this year. But I I, the optimist in me is saying that I think the Eagles are actually going to be really good. And the offense looks like it's going to be a fucking problem because even still there was Devontae had two catches that got called back for touchdowns or for for flags um that were ticky tack stuff and uh, one of them was like an offsetting penalty too and both of those for Devonte were like like wide open he broke ankles and as soon as they start getting that involved and i really do think the blitzing thing because that's what i heard all off season was all you gotta do is blitz jalen hurts that's all you gotta do i don't think that's gonna work anymore man he had he they were literally blitzing over 60 percent of the time in that game um and he was the second highest rated passer in the nfl this week so I, uh, and there was another stat that they have too on PFF, which is uh, interceptable balls. Like how many balls he threw that were interceptable. Jalen hurts had zero. So, wow. yeah. And, and too, like I was watching a lot of um, Aiden Hutchinson who uh, did, only had one tackle. Um, and look, he's matched up against uh, uh, Lane Johnson and, and Jordan my lot of the most, most of the time, but they were doing like a NASCAR line. What's the, what's the old, the famous NASCAR? There's a, I forget the team that it was, but there was a famous team that used to just put four edge rushers on the, on the defensive line. And they called their NASCAR package is what they, is what it called. I forget what team it was, but they put their NASCAR package out there a few times too. Um, They're going to be, they're going to be tough. Plus that the rookie Malcolm Rodriguez out of Oklahoma state, that dude's a fucking baller, man. That dude was all over the field. Um, But I'll tell you this, like, the Eagles defensive line did not look great. Uh, and I think they're only, they're only going to get better. I, I really do. I think they're going to look really good as this, as the season progresses and uh, optimistic, optimistic, but the defense, if the defense is as bad as we looked and I'm wrong on my optimism, I don't know. I think it's going to be a lot of points scored and a lot of points given up. Uh, all right. That's enough of me talking about the Eagles. Scotty, do you want to add anything? Cause I know I just rambled there for the majority of that. that no, I, I like the, the commitment to the run, even though without, I mean, you take away most of Jalen Hurts's uh, opportunities uh, for the sake of argument, take away all 17. You still got 22 runs to, to 32 passes. 
I like what they're doing with the with the commitment to it. And it's not just Miles Sanders, who had a great game, probably one of his better ones uh, all around, um, you know, in, in quite some time, probably since 2020. Yeah. I wanted to um, shout out like, Booby because Booby had a great day. And he finally he did. got, and he it got wasn't into just the end running. zone. Got into the end it, zone for it, the first time it, since yeah, 2020. But he he blocked so well too, which is mm-hmm. like, we hardly saw that at Penn state, even when he was there in the first, well, and they had to with the league. amount that they were blitzing, man. Like he yeah. had to, they, he was picking up block, you know, blitzers constantly, constantly in that game. And I like what you said there too, about the, the run pass differential, because they started off the season through the first, I think seven weeks before they switched to Sirianni wasn't calling plays anymore. Um, they were the number two, most pass happy team in the NFL. And then they switched, and then they were almost all run. They ran the ball significantly more. This was the perfect balance to me. 32 pass attempts and a game where you're leading the majority of the time and you're running the ball. Um, But, Vito, I don't know if you caught the very end. Fourth and one right now. They're up up three. Detroit's out of timeouts. And they're on the Detroit. They're pretty much at the 50. And Sirianni decides to go for it to get one to ice the game with a minute left. Because they get a first down. Detroit's out of timeouts. Game's over. Yeah. And you got to, and they, they went for it and it it worked and yeah, it was, it was a great, great first football card taken from lovey Smith, given, given over to Nick Sirianni. And Sirianni was like, talk, there were a bunch of Eagles fans (laughs) in the front row behind the Eagles sideline. And he was over there like jawing with them. Like, let's fucking go. Like, I I love this guy. (laughs) It's cringe. Some of the, some of the shit Sirianni does is cringe. You know, he's a little bit like a hippie uncle sometimes who's just like, oh, has man. these thoughts, on it, but it's like, you love him anyway. Yeah. I love it. Um, Scotty, do you want to do it? Let's do oh, it. God, we can make it quick because I think a lot yeah. of what can be yeah, please. explained away Mercy from this rule. game um, <laughs> was an absolute monsoon that hit Chicago and how they were even able well, to play that game in the weather was pretty outstanding. Not only that, but you don't resod a field the week of the first game of the year. First of all, Chicago, learn something about turf management. Number one, it's Soldier Field. It's been that way for fifty. Uh, it's years. unbelievable. I mean, get a freaking clue. Uh, and, and then to have it rain all that much. Uh, See no, the sidelines were crooked too. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the sidelines. There was a picture down the yeah, side. Yeah, they painted it, and it, it was. It was all. It was. It's like somebody was drunk doing it. Uh, which you know, classic Chicago. Um, so here's the deal, man. I. I it sucks that we lost that game. It does, uh, especially to what we all think is probably one of the worst teams in the NFL right now in game one defense stunk, uh, gave up way too many penalties, roughing the passers, uh, unnecessary roughness, all that stuff, especially down the stretch. Uh, secondary was secondary is absolutely terrible too. Yeah. Um, and on, on the offensive side of the ball, Trey Lance is a rookie, man. Like, I don't know what to yeah. tell you. It was, it was de facto really like his first uh, start as the, as the true starter for the Niners. So uh, he looked like a rookie in, in terrible weather uh, where it was really hard to throw the ball uh, and really hard to catch the ball with the, with as, as hard as he throws too. So I, you know, is what it is. I had two observations here. One was again, as, as, as it was coming up, you saw players thrown on the field and water was splashing up out of the field, which was definitely yeah, like, uh, cause, cause I, they oh, just yeah, resodded it and yeah. there are no roots. So the water was just so like puddling well, up. And not only that, I mean, clearly it just wasn't draining anyway. Like it was, yeah. uh, but uh, the, the crazy part about that, I think is that like, again, I watch a lot of old NFL films and like, I was showing one of my friends about Dick Knight train lane, my favorite cornerback of all time, probably maybe behind champ Bailey, but he like, we're showing all these old films and the same thing happened. He throws someone's on the ground and water splashes up. 
And then like an hour later, it happened in that game. And I was like, holy shit. Like the clip I showed you is from the 60s. What, what, what is happening in 2022 <laughs> where we're seeing this shit? I couldn't believe it. Um, and then the other observation here was, man, the running game from San Francisco, because uh, I'll, I'll just say this. I was just statistically, when you look at it, Trey Lance led them, then Debo Samuel was second. And like, I just, it was like one of those things it, where it was, okay, what's, what's happening over there and, and how are they going to handle this moving forward? I know it's a weird situation, but in a Shanahan offense, which I'm used to seeing Scotty, right. But from the Mike Shannon, from the Broncos for so damn long, it's the offense I grew up on. The zone run is exactly what is meant for a rainy shitty. Game. Exactly. And, and they didn't I, do did it. Did you see that? Yeah. I, I, Cause it they, look they, like they abandoned it. Once Eli Mitchell went out with an injury and he's going to be out a couple weeks, uh, once he went out and Jeff Wilson was was the primary back, I, I don't know what happened, but they just abandoned the run and they were like, "All right, Trey, go get it." And to well, me, that I, no, it's crazy because the difference between those two, to your point, Eli Mitchell had six point eight yards of carry, Jeffrey Wilson had two point four. I mean, that was yeah. the difference there. You know, yeah. week one down and one San Francisco running back already down too. Um, might mean a more tradition unlike any other. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll say this. <clears throat> considering everything, and I texted you this last night, Scotty. Considering everything, putting in the context of the game, the field, the, the weather, all of that, first start, the worst kind of conditions you could possibly have. I didn't think Trey Lance looked awful. No, no. I, I, I really didn't. I thought it was just he, a rookie. I, <laughs> That's I, it. I, it was like a rookie playing in this game in his first yeah. start. Uh, and I think it, it's probably going to take a couple weeks. There's been a lot of already the, oh, call on Jimmy G. Call on, yeah. And this is why they shouldn't have kept Jimmy G. They should have moved on. Right. But I also get why you do it. Because you're trying to, win a, trying to win a Super Bowl. You don't want that guy over your shoulder. And we saw what happened with Carson Wentz and Nick Foles, right? Like that became, obviously, that was post-Super Bowl run. But like still, you never want your starting quarterback looking over the shoulder. And that's why like Cam Newton, when he got cut from New England last year, it was the same, the same rationale, right? It's like, this is Mac Jones team should have been Trey Lance's team, but still, I think they're confident in him. I think they're going to give him a shot. And I think it's going to look better overall. Um, but to me, I'm not too worried about San Francisco. I was really no. impressed with Chicago. Yeah. they played I was game. really impressed with Justin Fields. I mean, the first half was absolutely horrendous, but the second half, the touchdown play to Dante Pettis was huge. Um, the touchdown pass, revenge yeah. touchdown. <laughs> yeah. And, and the one to Equinemius St. Brown, both St. Brown brothers scoring a touchdown yesterday, by the way, within Amon, minutes of each other. Yeah. Amon Ra <laughs> and then Equinemius both scoring touchdowns. That's awesome. Um, great names too. Oh yeah. Great names. And his, and their dad, who was like a Mr. One, Mr. Universe back in the seventies and eighties, uh, was all, part of hard knocks. They, they brought him in a couple times there on hard, on hard knocks. Um, but I just thought as a whole, like for Chicago, like some of the small things that they did, <laughs> Excuse me. Um, some of the small stuff that they did, I thought was really impressive. Um, just little things that show you like, hey, like Matt Nagy, like how poorly run that team was and how mentally yeah. checked out those players were. Eberflus um, did, you can tell already, has had these guys like, you know, really locked in. Um, and as a whole, but like, locked yeah, it's in not a and great loose. day. But, they yeah. didn't look like they were, they they were playing fun. stressed at all. Yeah, they, well, they had fun. The, the embodiment of that was they take the last knee and they all run to the end zone and slide in the end zone. Yeah. And like, like kids playing football in the rain, man. Like it, they, and that is so big for a young team. That's going to have a lot of down moments. They're going to look back to this in years to come and be like, remember that game 
Remember that game that we pulled it out that we, we, we all played in the rain and it's going to be Justin Fields is like first big, you know, win an upset win. They're seven point underdogs. Um, I thought it was great. I thought it was really, really cool for, for Chicago. Um, as much as I knew I was feeling for it, but at the same time, Scotty, I'm, I'm proud of you. There weren't a lot of angry texts. I feel like you, you took it all in stride. Like, Hey man, can't do anything with this weather. Um, two more games from the one o'clock window and then we will take a break. Uh, first up Miami and new England. Uh, so this is a a funny one and social media and the responses from it have been kind of all over the place. Um, anyone who says Tua played like some lights out game, don't listen to him because he really didn't, he really didn't play that great. He played solid. He played fine, but you could put in 10 other quarterbacks, 14 other quarterbacks in, in for Tua in that game. And that's like a 35 to seven blowout because Miami yeah, two in the rain in Chicago. See how he does <laughs> because uh, Miami's offense was lightning fast. Tyreek and Waddle and those guys were just as explosive as we all thought that they could be. The running game was impressive. The offensive line looked good. And Tua, you know, they won by 13, but this should have been like a 30-point blowout by Miami. And yeah, Tua did some good things, but Tua also avoided a couple of really, really bad throws. He, Eye test-wise, he didn't look all that great. And there's a lot of people being like, oh yeah, Tua looked awesome. Like, the offense looked great. It's like, dude, they should have hung up 30 plus easily in that game based of how everyone else was looking in that offense. And Tua kind of held them back a little. He did enough for them to win and beat New England. And I get it, but I also don't think New England, New England's going to be very good either. So, you know, I, I, I mean, maybe it's just week one, but I think the more we're seeing out of Tua, the more we're realizing that like he might be a, a, a solid, decent starter who can win you games with a really, really good team around him. And I think that's probably what we're going to see out of him, but don't let the Tua hype, that I've heard from a good amount of people fool you into thinking like Tua all of a sudden is unleashed now. I think this is about as good as we're going to see Tua get. I don't know. I, I for me, um, and I, it's right to be fair. I didn't really get to see the full game. I saw highlights afterwards and, and did some research here, but I do think while New England, they always start off slow on defense. They're like literally the opposite of the Arizona Cardinals offense. Uh, they always get better at the end of the year. They're Derrick Henry in a defensive form. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. And so early, you know, obviously Miami won this game, did well, but like to me, Tua did enough. Um, The run game didn't get going clearly. And the Patriots, you know, defense did did well there, but on the Patriots offensive side, that's where it's like, man, what, what's going on here? Um, You know, I, I, Mac Jones talking about not playing a good game. Um, statistically then I, I saw again the highlights it didn't look like he he had he made a couple plays don't get me wrong but he um, he never looked comfortable they don't all. have an offense they don't no, have an offensive they coordinator don't. they have three guys calling plays on offense it, it's every Patricia, time they would just Joe show Judge Patricia and... calling a play you were just like I, I just still can't believe this is still what's happening and uh I don't know unless unless they score more than seven points I mean you got to be understand the NFL I think a lot of coaches will say this but usually it's like we can hold them to 17 and score 21. You're going to win. You can give up two touchdowns and a field goal, and you should be able to score three touchdowns a game, no matter how bad you think your offense is. And the fact that they only got seven, you know, we'll see what else happens here the rest of the season. But if they have a, a first quarter of the season, they're forced four or five games here and they can't get more than, you know, 20 some points. I don't know and that's the thing. Like, there. I didn't think Miami's defense was like, 
amazing. I honestly like Mac Jones. It was had, good. Mac yeah. Jones had one unbelievable throw. Yeah. Uh, deep ball to Kendrick Bourne. Um, but look at the guys who are playing wide receiver for New England: Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, and Nelson Aguilar. Right, and then it's it's Hunter Henry at at tight end. And and we I think collectively the running back room's fine. Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, that's fine. But like even if they had an offensive coordinator, we'd be talking about this as one of the worst offensive units in football. It's and almost the off- like they think they still have Tom Brady and they can get by with like no receivers. And they got DeAndre, they try to get Parker, right? Um yeah, and they Devontae have Devontae they Parker, do have Devontae yeah. Parker, but I mean Devontae Parker got you know never fit in Miami for a reason, and he's there's some advanced numbers on with him, which are like, yeah, he's great at these like contested catches and end zone catches where you're like, Oh man, Devonte Parker's sick. His separation numbers are worse than JJ Ortega Whiteside <laughs> over the course of their careers. Who, like who was traded and cut this year for yeah. everyone. To- <laughs> well, he's on the practice squad in Seattle. J Jaws. Oh, you know, he's, he's, he's trying to make the 53 man roster. He's really making it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, he, but, but, yeah, that's a good point, Jeff. That's a really good point because I, I think that literally that's what it seems like. It's like Belichick's like, we're fine here. We still can hold everything together. It's like, man, Tom Brady did all that without any receivers. I don't know. Mac Jones is good, but I don't think he can do the same. And, and no Josh well, McDaniels either, which I think yeah. part of the reason yeah, why that's Mac, a huge. I think part of the reason why Mac looked really good was he had Josh McDaniels. And now it's, it's huge. you know, there was a system. There was at least communication. Now he doesn't have a coach to communicate with. Now he doesn't know who to go to when shit hits the fan. There's no offensive coordinator. There's no one clear play caller. Who is he going to after a bad throw or an interception when they're sitting on the sideline looking at the tablets being like, what did I see here? He's going to have three Old different voices. Yeah. Or he's going to have Joe Judge or Belichick. He's going to have three or four different voices in his ear, which as just human behavior, I think anyone knows, like if you, anytime you're, you're in a tight situation, having as many people like, Hey, I'm thinking about breaking up with my girlfriend. Let me go get as many opinions as possible. No, go to the one or maybe two people that you trust the most and get their opinion and then make a decision for yourself. And it's obviously it's football, but like it's tough in in in-game adjustment stuff. I just don't see how this offense is going to click unless they're playing somewhere where they can just flat out run the ball and do basic play action stuff off of it, which I think sucks because Mac Jones showed a lot of flashes last year of being a guy who I thought was going to be a really good quarterback. And I think they've done him a major disservice already, which is why on Friday when we were picking games, like this whole, everything that came out of Boston, the new England area and and the beat writers about, there's just no consistency. It's like, this is what the offense looked all summer in camp and, and in the preseason. I think that trend is likely to continue. Yeah, and the two things I cited about the Patriots in the in the preseason preview. One, on offense, Mac Jones has to take the next step and make the guys around him be that much better. We saw that on one play uh, to the to, to play you alluded to, uh, to Kendrick Bourne there, Jeff. Uh, and two, on defense, they don't have anyone. Like, I get that it's Belichick and, and they, they, you know, come on at the end of the year strong. But they don't have any. They were getting burned, and I know again. Miami is one of the fastest teams in the league. Uh, Tua is going to have the lowest depth of target for the amount of touchdowns he's going to throw. The ratio is going to be ridiculous, uh, and they have speed that burns you in and can burn you after the catch. But they have nobody that can keep up with them. And then what are you going to do in the division when you have to play uh, the Jets with with what will probably be Zach Wilson at that point and Garrett Wilson and and Elijah Moore. When you play Buffalo, who has Josh Allen and uh, and Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis, you're going to get 
absolutely torched in your division, let alone the other, the rest of the AFC that you have to play. I, they have nobody, and I don't see it getting any better. This is not, to me, it didn't look like a Belichick defense that is like, we're good, we just need to get there. It was just like, it looked bad. It goes back to the to the talent, man. It just goes back. I mean, who's who's the best yeah. player on this defense? You know, Devin McCourty still, Matthew Judon. Matt Judon, yeah, yeah. I mean, Adrian Phil, like there's just, there's no, I mean, Jalen Mills, I love him to death, Green Goblin. He got absolutely mossed on that throw-up ball, which, again, was a terrible throw by Tua. Falling away back, just threw it up there, and Tyreek made an unbelievable catch on, like, a 25-yard, like, throw-up ball because that's what Tua does. Um, and and Jalen Mills got absolutely mossed by Tyreek Hill. So I, I, I'll say this. I think the Patriots will be better than the Jets. Um, it's hard. It's hard not to be after what we saw uh, in week one from them, despite some of the injuries. So with that, let's talk about the last one o'clock game here. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens and the New York Jets, uh, the Joe Burrow, or sorry, Joe Flacco revenge game did not go according to plan for Joe Flacco. Uh, we all took Baltimore here. I think we all were on the same page. Um, I think this is actually the only one that we all picked and we all got right from our, uh, no, we all took Tampa Bay as well. Uh, Lamar looked really good. Um, but they couldn't Throwing. run the ball. Yeah, that was what was interesting. They didn't run the ball particularly well for Baltimore in this game. Um, but Lamar throwing the ball dropped three absolute dimes, which ended up being all they needed. And then the Baltimore defense came to play. But again, I just don't know whether that's Baltimore's defense being really good or the Jets offense having Joe Flacco at 37 or however old he is uh, being their starting quarterback. And they still have at least three more weeks of Joe Flacco there. So tough start to the year for the New York jets, but impressive showing from Lamar. I, I loved seeing him, you know, ha- being forced to kind of rely on the arm a little bit. And he looked really good. He looked great. Uh, at least from what I saw the, the craziest stats to me of this entire game to hit up Joe Flacco is that he threw the ball 59 times. I had no idea he could still do that. That dude. I mean, incredible just to be able to throw it that many times. Uh, but Man, his arms hanging. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Lord. Right. how bad does his arm feel today? For for uh, as good as as Michael Carter looked too, in, in running the ball in that offense. Like I don't know why you need to depend on Joe Flacco to throw the ball sixty times. That's that to me seemed especially with that offensive line. Yeah, Michael I, Carter averaging six yards a carry in that game, and only got the ball ten times. Like, what are you doing? You know, and yeah, right. I, I think that there's one other thing too on the on the Ravens side here. You know, Lamar threw the ball well. He was efficient well efficient with touchdowns he didn't have a super high completion percentage but at the same time yeah no one really I mean Mike Davis had two carries so you throw that out I mean Lamar and Kenyon Drake averaged 2.8 yards a carry um not not gonna do it in Baltimore for what they're looking to get out of that rush game this year so uh, no but you'll get J.K. Dobbins back coming soon yeah for sure Uh, no that's that's not their game but when J.K.'s back in the lineup it'll change but I, my my interest was some of these offseason acquisitions. Kyle Fuller went over there. Kyle Hampton was drafted on the defensive side, right? Like from the defensive standpoint, um, again, I didn't the red zone didn't show up much, uh, but in general, um, you know, they give nine points. Sounds pretty good. Uh, yeah. But w- what did you guys see from from that side of it? Because I was impressed statistically with the Ravens defense, but I don't want to get ahead of myself, right? Well, it was announced today that Kyle Fuller tore his ACL. No. And is now done for the year. So the injury bug in the secondary already biting uh, Baltimore, unfortunately. Um, other than that, though, I mean, they looked really good. Um, 
Patrick Queen flying around the field, Marcus Williams flying. I mean, Marcus Williams had a huge, huge day. Um, he had an interception, almost ran it back for a touchdown. Um, but I, honestly, like the defense looked good just in terms of we expected them to be better, right? Just they had to have been based off of how many guys that they lost. Um, in terms of the position group for Baltimore that I thought was most impressive was the receivers. Um, Rashad Bateman had a fantastic touchdown catch. And Devin Duvernay had two really, really nice touchdown catches. Um, all three balls were perfectly thrown by Lamar. Uh, Mark Andrews had a, had a solid five-catch, 52-yard day. Um, it, this game was just kind of boring. Like, I think Baltimore felt like, hey, you know what? Like, we're not worried about Joe Flacco. Like, we're, we're good. Um, they didn't have to run the ball a whole lot. It was, it was for as um, – it's so funny when you look at this. It's like the total team plays. Like, Baltimore had way – or sorry, New, uh, New York had way more total plays of offense, right? Um, I think they ended up with, uh, 60 or sorry. Yeah. 66 total plays. Um, Baltimore ended up with 51, uh, but at the same time, time of possession was favoring to Baltimore by about six minutes. So Baltimore was definitely just kind of playing keep away towards the end of the game. It felt like, you know, the defense was getting stops whenever they needed. Um, and, and it was just kind of a bore. It was a boring game. I mean, this one, yeah, this game literally did not get on red zone. I think other than, <laughs> Uh, Joe Flacco touchdowns yeah, yeah the touchdowns from Lamar and then Flacco's interception and that was that was about it um, would have been interesting to see you know a healthy Zach Wilson right I mean who knows maybe something's different uh, I will say the Jets defense played pretty well all things considered I mean holding Lamar to 17 rushing yards is, is really good but Lamar only rushing six times I'm curious if this will be if this is a one-off here or if this is going to be a season-long trend um contract year doesn't want to get hurt missed yeah. games last year for well, the first time in his career whether it's a conscious effort or not i'm just i'm i'm curious especially with you know night before or two days before they announced hey there's not going to be no longer going to have any contract extension talks for the rest of the season between lamar and and baltimore um so who knows maybe is, he ends up not it, running as much as he did before well is it because uh lamar doesn't want to get hurt or is it because the the ravens don't want to showcase him uh running the ball for another team next year yeah no, i don't think it's i don't think it's that i think it has to be the fact of like listen lamar and you're playing the jets plays, they didn't need him to run too yeah but. i i that's what i mean i i think he'll he'll pull it out i do think it's dumb for the ravens to stop these talks again last time they did their quarterback joe flacco who they played today or last, yesterday two days ago when you're listening to this went down the to the playoffs had the most incredible offseason and got an all-time contract which he should not have gotten and i think lamar is way better than joe flacco ever was uh i mean he joe won flacco a super one mvp yeah well won, joe flacco won a won super... an mvp though no but like guy guy wins you the super bowl in a contract year you have to pay him for sure my point is imagine if they re-signed joe flacco in week six instead yeah they could have and that's my point with with uh, Lamar here you should probably take care of it before he has to you know go off but I think the difference is to your point he's going to run the ball later in the year and in the playoffs and it, does that affect how the contract goes potentially so it's an interesting thing Jeff I think that you said to keep an eye on for the rest of the season is he going to run the ball more or less well I'd say the same or less than he did last year yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to watch uh, all right we're going to take a quick break come back we'll talk the four o'clock window uh, Sunday night, as well as some college football. But before we do that, new ad alert from our friends at Alliance Accounting. Football is finally back. 
And while you spend your week researching for your fantasy team, assembling your feast for tailgates, and watching four straight days of football, you can binge watch football every week with the assurance that Alliance Accounting will have your back when it comes to all of your tax needs. Prep your waiver wire ads while Alliance preps your personal tax forms. Check the grill at your tailgate while Alliance checks the available tax deductions and credit scores to maximize your possible refund. Review and submit your fantasy lineups with Alliance account accurately and thoroughly reviews your tax return and files it for you. Record all the great football and memories you can while Alliance records your business and personal finances with their trusted bookkeeping services. The team at Alliance Accounting is here for you so that you can be there for your team. Don't wait. Contact Alliance Accounting but today before the October filing extension deadline on October 17th. That's week number six, folks. Week number six. Keep that marked down. And visit Alliance Accounting today online at allianceaccounting.com. That's allianceaccting.com. Or check out their Instagram page at alliance underscore accounting. Alliance Accounting with you every step of the way. Quick break. We'll be right back. And we will continue on with our week one recap and uh, week two in college football. Four o'clock window, not quite as uh, epic as the one o'clock window was, but we did have some good finishes uh, first and foremost with the New York Giants surprisingly coming back at the end of that game and beating Tennessee. I'll be honest. I did not see that coming. Um, I, in fact, doubled down. I I thought Tennessee was like every time Tennessee had the ball, I'm like, oh, they're going to break away here. Okay, they're going to score another touchdown. Like they could never get it to more than a seven point lead. And I felt like if they had just scored one more touchdown and got it to 14, the Giants would have been out of that game. But they just kept hanging around. Tennessee kept making some plays. And then even at the very end of the game, Tannehill makes an unbelievable throw to get them in the field goal uh, range. Then has a weird, like, the the clock management there was absolutely atrocious. Um, How you don't have all your players on the field ready to, you know, take a knee and then get ready to set up the field goal when I still had one more timeout and then having to burn that timeout because you weren't in position with the play clock. Um, that's just like basic coaching shit that the Eagles did a couple times this weekend, but Vrabel, it's not something you see out of a Vrabel team very often. And, and that, mm-hmm. that was surprising. Uh, but either way, you know, they gave themselves a chance at the end uh, and fat Randy misses the field goal to, to close it out. So uh, impressive first win for for New York. Danny Dimes looked terrible, okay. but then also, <laughs> you know, ran the ball okay. I mean, the boot, the naked bootleg on what was that fourth and one uh, when they were in the red zone was just. I loved it. I, I got any naked bootleg is no, like it was and, a play action. That was the whole thing. Like no, they, they did, ran they that ran before. that off of. No, they, they ran a play. They had a play action one and then, but they ran a naked bootleg in the fourth quarter to pick up a big, a big first down. It was like four. I'm pretty sure it was like fourth and one. Oh, you're not talking about the touchdown they scored. No. To tie it up. No, or no, no, to no, no. be down by one. Sorry. No, that one. No, that, that was, that was, a, it was on that drive though. It was, it was on that drive. It was a fourth down play and they obviously had to go for it and they ran naked. It might've been third and one, but it was a, they needed one yard and they pulled a, a, a naked bootleg out for, for Danny Dimes, which looked like, and honestly, it looked like a slightly faster version of Peyton when he used to do it. That was always my favorite when Peyton yeah. would pull it on the naked bootleg and then just like 
Looked like slowly, a statue. Yeah, <laughs> but he would always be untouched because he was so good at selling the fake and no one ever saw it coming. He said in an interview once, he's like, I do it every every five or six years when no one uh, coordinators rotate, you know, he's like, yeah. so when the coordinator forgets, like every coordinator in the NFL forget I ever did that. They're all like coach head coaches or in a different yeah. spot. He's like, then I pull it back out again. <laughs> well, and a lot of times when he would do it too, not to go on a naked bootleg uh, tangent here, but a lot of times when he would do it, it, he would just do it on his own. Yeah, he wouldn't tell the team. He, he wouldn't tell anybody. Ball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he would that. just pull it himself. And that way everyone blocked like normal. The running back hit the hole. Like, I mean, and it's up to the running back. And I'm sure he would tell the running back at least like, hey, if I ever pull it, you sell the shit out of this fake, you know. But anytime he ever did it, it I don't re- ever remember him doing it and getting tackled from behind. Um, but your boy Saquon looked good. Really awesome bounce back from him. Um, I will really say good. He had two really big runs, and that accounted mm-hmm. for most of his. What do you have, like 140 or 100? He had 164 yards. Like, nine, nine he yards played really well. I All mean, right. yeah, but like, but like two of them were like added up to 100 yards. So, like, he looked great. Still. He looked great. I'm not trying to poo poo because he looked explosive and confidence mm-hmm. and ran really hard for the first time. And I've seen at least in the last couple of years. And it he was nice couple... to see him look good. The difference was you, if you, because uh, I watched those highlights a lot, I uh, watched more of that game than probably most. Uh, because we were back, but when they tossed it to him on pit, I, like when Saquon's healthy, he can run any play. When he's hurt, he gets a pitch, and the Giants do not block well, and it always goes poorly. And then this, there were multiple times in this game where they ran a pitch, and I was like, "What are you doing? God damn it!" And then Saquon gets like twelve yards. I'm like, "Oh, fuck, man, he must be healthy again." You know, he looks great. <laughs> like that was the big determining factor. And talking about big plays, by the way. That Sterling Shepard touchdown, yeah. I feel like it was most of the passing offense. Like the, the Daniel Jones, he had 188 yards. I don't know how much was on that one play, at least 40 or, or at least 50 or 60, maybe, but like 65. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that was right. Most of the offense of the day, but Daniel Jones was efficient. He was 17 to 21, given he threw a pick. Um, but, you know, I think this is the formula. You run the ball well. Uh, and Jeff, you've been talking about this defense here for a little bit now on the Giants side, at least in the preseason. And man, they they were impressive to me to keep Derrick Henry under 100 yards and, and to kind of contain this offense. I mean, they loaded the shit out of the box. I mean, ultimately, yeah. that's what it was like in the first half. Derrick Henry was breaking off big runs, um, was just consistently doing his Derrick Henry stuff. And then they said, all right, you know what? Why are we even fucking around with this? Load the box, make Tannehill beat us, make, uh, you know, Traylon Burks. And Austin Hooper and Robert Woods make them beat us. And we're not going to lose to, you know, to Derrick Henry. And, and ultimately I think we've seen like, yeah, that's, you couldn't do that before because they had AJ Brown. Right. Yeah. And now you can kind of get away with it a little bit. And even still, uh, you know, Ryan Tannehill didn't play bad. Like he didn't make any oh. really, really bad mistakes. No. And he, he had just doesn't have, Yeah. With two touchdowns through the air out of the backfield. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I think as a whole, like I I didn't think they played all that bad, but I think what we did see was that without Derrick Henry or sorry, without AJ Brown and only Derrick Henry really is the main source of that offense. And Robert Woods, who similar to Chris Godwin, who we'll talk about a little bit. I can't believe Robert Woods was active and ready to play week one. Um, The ACL recovery (laughs) shit these days is just getting fucking insane. Um, you know, thinking it was like, you know, when AP did it off of nine months, it was like the most, you know, her, her, uh, Herculean effort of all time. That's what I was looking for. Like people like it was, it was like superhuman. It was like, who the fuck can do this? And it was at the time, but now it's like, that's common practice. Like nine months after the ACL, like you can be back out there playing in some cases, even shorter. Uh, yeah, I will say this. I mean, the Giants defense played pretty solid, uh, 
they're not great. Like I, I still, as a whole, I don't think they're a great team. And I think they did enough to beat this Tennessee team. Cause I do think this Tennessee team is one-sided and I think Tennessee was in control of this game up into the last five minutes. Uh, and, and they just kind of let New York hang around. And in the NFL, when you do that to teams, you're going to get burnt, you know, and then one big Sterling Shepard touchdown happens and you're like, Holy shit, this is a, this is a one score. And they just could never get that separation to put them ahead. I think long-term, I still don't think the Giants are going to be a great team, but I'll say this in terms of like the culture and Dayball coming in and going forward on fourth down and being aggressive. Like that's a really good sign for the Giants moving forward. Yeah. Um, and and I, I just don't think they have the horses right now, but they're going to win some games. They're going to win a couple games this year. No question. No question. Yeah. And, I love, I love the grit. I love the grit to, to roll the dice and go for it on fourth down because especially in New York, in the New York media, you're a hero. Uh, if that play goes right. And, you're a horse's ass if it goes wrong mm. and, and you're next on the chopping block. So for Dable in his first game as the Giants head coach to do that, I, uh, that took some cojones, man. And kudos to him for let, letting the dice roll and, and giving yeah. Saquon the football in, in the process. Saquon did get lucky, though, on that fumble. He had his second of his two big runs. He got chased down from behind after about a 30-yard. Oh, it, it went out of bounds, yards. like and 10 yards in front of I him? I don't know who it was on Tennessee. It might have, I, I don't remember, but whoever it was came up and punched the shit out of the ball, and it flew. Mm-hmm. Like it, it flew like an, an additional like 15 yards before it went out of bounds. It was a peanut punch. like It was a beautiful peanut punch. Uh, you know, Charles Tillman would be, uh, would be proud. But, um, yeah, I, was, I mean, look, it's a good win for New York ultimately right like it's week one but i'll say this i wasn't impressed by new york daniel jones still didn't look good you know and and that's ultimately kind of where we sit now where it's like yeah a good win for the giants bad loss for the titans but um if this is what the giants are bringing to the table every week i I feel confident in my under pick for them on this on the win total still but it was nice to see because when saquon's right dude like he is so much fun to watch different he is is so much it is it's really good for the nfl because he's still even though he hasn't been good in the last couple of years, he's still the biggest, one of the biggest stars. Like he still has that major name recognition um, for whatever reason. He's just kind of resonated with people. So it was good to see that uh, Packers Vikings. Uh, <laughs> it was, I'll tell you what, for as explosive as it started, this game could have gotten out of hand really quick. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that, Oh, we're just going to do, you know, a Packers lost week one last year, lose week one bad this year. Uh, just run back 2021 all over again. Packers are going to go 14 and three and be the one seed. Um, there's definitely some concerns there. I think the passing game will get better. If Christian Watson doesn't drop one of the worst drops that I've ever seen. I mean, Rogers threw an absolutely per and he ran such a nasty route. Christian Watson burnt the shit out of the cornerback. I forget. I think it might've been Patrick Patterson. Burnt the absolute shit out of Patrick Patterson, wide open down the sideline, could not place a ball better on a deep throw, and just absolutely T Rex arms it straight through the hands, and uh, and a tough one. Um, Justin Jefferson might be the best player in the NFL. I don't know, man. He's ever. How, how is he so open? I don't under I don't understand I don't how he could be as open as he was constantly, which is making yeah. me think. They were not playing man-to-man in the first half against him because his numbers did get worse in the second half when Jair Alexander started picking him up more. But they were playing some zone coverage against him, some kind of that, like, you know, two, two cover two shell stuff like we you see against uh, Kansas City. And there, were, there was one play in the first half, Justin Jefferson caught it, 
20 yards downfield on a deep drag. And there was no one within 15 yards of him. like nobody. And no. it's like, how do you lose Justin Jefferson of all people? He's the guy, if you ever played like Madden or anything back in the day, there was that zone man X where it's literally like, Hey, we're going to run zone <laughs> against everyone and man one guy up. Additionally, yeah. you man up Justin Jefferson and run zone as well. You do mm-hmm. both because to your point, he was catching the ball on that drag out to the outside. He also had one where he, he just caught the ball. I believe it was one of his touchdowns where he was just like wide open. And it was like, what you guys, you cannot lose him. This is, this is a reason I would love the NFL. I, I want more all 22 cam in game for analysis for, for the actual, you know, the um, John Madden role, the color commentator to actually draw up and, and look at some of that stuff. But man, I, I feel like when you're, you're going to look at him below up defenses, right? When Randy Moss came in that rookie wide, uh, year at uh, in Minnesota as well, he blew up because you could throw him jump balls like no one else could. I think like yeah. Justin Jefferson is redefining the wide receiver position in terms of he, he gets so much separation, whether it is man or zone. He can make the contested catches too. But to your point, I've never seen a guy who's that high profile that open. Yeah, I don't it's, know. it's crazy. And on the touchdown one at the goal line, Vito, the one I think you're talking about, um, he they did a little bit of what they uh, they gave a little bit of their own medicine to, to Green Bay with what they used to do with Devontae. And you saw Kansas City do it with Kansas City a lot, too, where they will they'll bring wide receiver in motion. He'll kind of do that stutter step, start to turn back and then send him across. And then they snap it as he's going off to the Which, right side and he gets yeah. a head start. And you're forcing the communication with the pre-snap for the linebackers because they're either going to pass that off as to whether or not he goes fully across in motion on the first time, but that Mm -hmm. little stutter step that he does where he kind of fakes to go back and then goes continuing across in motion the way he was originally going, that creates just a little bit of miscommunication. So that way, by the time the ball is snapped, he's got three steps already towards the pylon. It was a wide open, easy touchdown pass out Mm -hmm. in the flat. And I mean, good guys like that, like you see him moving, everyone, gets this heightened sense of like, Oh shit, that's Justin Jefferson. Where do you know you got no, and then he's going back and that, that half second of communication there is enough to get a guy like Justin Jefferson wide open. Um, Really impressive. Uh, And again, I will say too, for the Packers, the fact that they were kind of lingering around in this game, again, they score that opening touchdown. I think the game goes completely different, Um, but it was clear that Rogers in, in some of the, the, the video and stuff you saw him on the sidelines, he was pissed. Yeah, well, it was just mistakes, and he wasn't immune. It was mistakes all around the field. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned the Christian Watson drop. But they, were, they were all over the place. It was on the offensive line that was lacking because they had two starters that were out, uh, and it was everywhere. And, and I, what stood out to me was the improvement on, uh, on the Vikings' defense, particularly on the defensive line and the pass rush. Zadarius Smith Zedarius Smith, man, a huge difference on that team. And they were saying during the game, he sought out going to a rival, a division rival uh, because of how he was treated at the end there in, uh, in green Bay. Bay, Now he's with Minnesota and he was an absolute wrecking one man wrecking crew yesterday. Well, there was a play that um, it was like a a bubble screen or a a pitch or something, but Rogers ended up going out and trying to be a lead blocker. And he ends up kind of putting his shoulder into Zadarius Smith and Rodgers just kind of like bounced off of him and ended up kind of falling clumsily to the ground. And then Rodgers gets, and you could see like Zedaria Smith, like kind of talk, you know, stands over him, is kind of yapping at him. And Rodgers gets up and kind of yaps back. And they were both smiling and laughing about it kind of afterwards. Um, but I believe that 100%. I mean, he had a sack in that game 
that he came up and was like, you would have thought he just made a sack to win the Super Bowl. Like he had this circled on his calendar. I'm not counting out Green Bay by any stretch of the imagination. I think they're still going to be good. They ran the ball really, really well. A.J. Dillon and uh, Aaron Jones both looked good when they got their reps in. Um, But the the bend-don't-break defense that Minnesota was playing mixed with just Rodgers clearly not having a comfortable target in the wide receiver room right now. Um, he went to Bobby Tons a good amount too. He almost had a he had a couple catches and almost scored a touchdown. Uh, so I think we'll see a little bit more of that. Uh, but I don't know. I think this one. I think this was an emotional win as much as anything. Again, interdivisional, and I think Minnesota knew they. This is kind of like a weird. Even though it's week one, it was kind of like a hey, we got to win this game. Not a must win. Yeah, but it was kind of like, a, hey, yo, we got to show out and win this game if we're going to mm-hmm. if we're going to be here. So uh, great win for the Vikings. And I think the Vikings are going to be a really good team. I'm not going to put them in that top tier category in the NFC yet, uh, mainly because I don't know if there is a top tier category in the NFC. Uh, all the top teams. I mean, every team in the NFC this week looked either decent, uh, but definitely have holes or bad. There yeah, was there was away. Yeah. yeah, there was no one in the NFC that you went <laughs> like, oh, shit, this team. Um, the team that looked the best was probably Minnesota, but again, I think they came into this game with a little bit of extra juice given the history and everything going on between uh, Minnesota and obviously, you know, Rogers and, and everything there. Uh, Chiefs Cardinals, Kansas city, still good at football. Patrick Mahomes still really good at football. Um, this is what I was saying in this whole off season and why I have Kansas city um, going to the super bowl uh, and, and representing this offense is going to be almost impossible to defend because this is a version of Mahomes we've never seen before. You still have Kelsey, so you still have the ultimate safety blanket there who came out the gate, scored a touchdown right away. Running game looks solid, um, but it was this like, hey, it doesn't matter who I'm throwing to. You know, the whole Valdez, Scantling, Juju, whoever, like guys were just getting open all over the place. Uh, Sky Moore with an awesome catch right off the bat in week one. Um, the Who's the running back who looks like Tyreek Hill and is also wearing number 10 now? Pacheco. Which com- yeah. yeah. Completely broke my brain. I was like, wait, why is there a short guy wearing number 10 with dreads? Who looks exactly, <laughs> who's really fast, who looks exactly like Tyreek Hill. I was like, I thought they just, I, what? Um, and that was after a couple of cervezas too. So, you know, you know, was, you know, the old brain was, was operating a touch slower. Um, but just really, really impressive performance. This game was over. And it was over quickly, especially in the third quarter. I mean, it was what it was. They had uh, 25 or 23 to seven. It was at halftime. Uh, and then Kansas City comes out and scores two fast touchdowns. And that was all she wrote. Yeah. Beyond that, though, for Arizona on the offensive side of the ball, first of all, they look just terrific Awful. on defense and offense. Um, but on offense, they they looked completely lost. Right. Without, I mean, Hollywood Brown had a touchdown, but he was, you know, largely quiet beyond that. The next guy they were throwing to was Greg Donch. Uh, figure that one out. Uh, and Zach Ertz had an okay day. Uh, but it looks like what they're, what they're doing and what, what it's going to end up happening is Kyler getting hurt again is, hey, Kyler, it's your show, man. Uh, run around, throw the ball, do whatever you want. You can throw it 50 times a game, run it for 20. Uh, but this is this is your team and your show, uh, and good luck with uh, with Greg Donch as your number two receiver. Kyler looked bad, like just yeah. straight out. Like Kyler just did not look good. The offensive line looked terrible. The defense is a whole other issue, and I think Arizona's defense is going to be really really bad. Um, but uh, Kyler looked completely flummoxed. 
like zero control of the game. Um, they had one good drive there in, in the second quarter with James Conner punching it in. You thought, all right, maybe there's some life here in this team. They're cutting it a little close. And Kansas City kind of put the kibosh on that pretty quick. I think my, the, the stat of the game, you could say, was that Kansas City was five for eight in third downs. And here's why I think it's so impressive. One and one and fourth. But not only do you are you're over 50 percent right from at third down over 60, but you also only had eight third downs on offense. Like yeah. you only have eight third downs. I mean, Mahomes yeah. had five tutties. He was super efficient with the ball over 75% completion percentage. I mean, this is what you look for. He didn't miss a goddamn beat without Tyreek Hill. I mean, yeah, you'd love to have him, but I think Juju made a bigger difference than, I don't know. Like I'm one of those people. I will raise my hand right now and be like, I'm one of those people who definitely was like, Oh, Juju's good, but he's not great. Or like, I don't know. I just kind of was like, oh, it's Juju. It's definitely, it's not Tyreek Hill. Well, Juju's also not a scrub. So like, I, I think, no, not I think at all. that's one thing he that fumbled. I honestly underestimated. He fumbled twice too. And one of them they lost, which wasn't great. But right. I mean, that was their only turnover though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, Mahomes looked ridiculous. I mean, five touchdown passes. I heard a stat that was going around on Twitter that uh, if you look, there's like six quarterbacks ever to have, I think it was six, five plus touchdown games. And they all were over 200 games played before they got to their sixth game of five wow. plus touchdowns. Mahomes did it in game 63. <laughs> That's insane. Oh, and then you, I, do, you mix that with, with what Vito say, he was 77% in his average, uh, you know, uh, uh, completion or distance for completion was 9.2 yards. Yeah, that's that's fucking wild. And they also ran the ball for 128 yards. <laughs> like that's insane, yeah. man. Right? They didn't suck running. Like they no, had a, the offensive line looked all, awesome. All of McKinnon, Edward Solaire, and Isaiah Pacheco all were over five yards a pop. I mean, this is this was what it's one of those things where we all came in like we know their defense won't be great. Can their offense keep up and blow people out? And guess what? They still can. <laughs> and, yeah, and the defense looked good. Like other than the two garbage time touchdowns in the fourth quarter, like. Yeah, when they were seriously playing and not running in backups and and not giving guys breathers and whatnot, like Arizona couldn't move the ball on them. And yeah. you know, I, I get Marquise Brown had a touchdown, Ertz had a touchdown, but like AJ, I mean AJ Green still getting reps for them. Andy Isabella, Good you know, Lord. and maybe if D Hop <laughs> comes back, that'll change some things. But hey, you still got five more weeks until that's happening. So yeah, I am interested to see though with Kansas City, uh, not not that I don't think that they're elite, but I am interested to see them, especially in their division where there are a couple teams that have really good offenses and really good defenses that they're going to be playing on both sides of the ball. Arizona's clearly not that. If no. anything, they're a mediocre offense and a terrible defense right now. Uh, but like when, when Kansas city plays those teams, I think it's going to look a little bit different, yeah. but no one's just proven me wrong before. Let's talk about a couple of those teams, Scotty, because the Raiders and Chargers are the last team from the four o'clock window we have to hit. Uh, Chargers come away with a big win at home, uh, and the Raiders almost came back, stole, tried to steal that game at the very end, um, but didn't quite get there. Herbert started really, really hot, and Herbert, all, all things together, played a really, really solid game. Um, I, I feel like I'm taking a little bit of crazy pills um, because Herbert played like a, a not quite flawless, but a pretty damn close to flawless game. Um, people were reacting like, 
see the Chargers, man. They're fucking awesome. Like they're so good. Like I mean, the, yeah, pump the brakes a little bit. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, like they they looked good. They looked great in the first half. They're up 17 to three at halftime, and the offense didn't do shit for the entire second half of the game. They couldn't run the ball at all, which is my big thing with Eckler. Like I know Eckler is going to get your fantasy points in in you know the receiving game. Um, Eckler had 36 yards on 14 carries. You know, like, and, and not that the Raiders have a bad defense, but they have a very, I think, very middle of the road defense. Um, and well, runs, run stuffing, better. it's yeah. a little bit better, but they don't have much at linebacker anymore. And like, I, I don't know, man. I just, I guess I didn't see the hype around the Chargers. I think the Chargers looked really good in flashes, particularly in the first half of this game. Um, Keenan Allen getting hurt and not coming back obviously was affected that offense. Mike Williams, just an absolute no show. Uh, if it wasn't for DeAndre Carter and Gerald Everett, you know, yeah, Gerald Everett had a great game. The Raiders might have, you know, come turned around and and, and won that game. Um, I, I look, the Chargers are a good team, but I feel more and more confident with my Kansas City is going to win the AFC West prediction uh, with, with everything I saw on Sunday. But again, this is Week One. I think the, the promising thing, obviously, you won. You're one to zero after Week One, so it's all promising. But Herbert looked really, really good. His decision-making, he made some incredible throws, and he was throwing to backups. He was throwing to guys who don't have much of a name and were still making impacts. And I think if you're doing that, then you are – that means you've elevated, right? We just talked about it with Mahomes. Mahomes is throwing to guys who are nowhere near the caliber of who he was throwing to, but he still made all of them look even better. And I think that's a really, really promising sign with Herbert, which is that he's elevating the talent of the guys in that wide receiver room, particularly after Keenan Allen went out. Because before Keenan Allen got hurt, he looked like Keenan Allen was like on a tear. He had like 66 yards yeah. in the first like quarter and a half. Uh, and then he gets hurt and we didn't see him anymore. But he did have one really, really long 42-yard play, which was you know part of it. But again, if you're making touchdown passes to DeAndre Carter and, and Gerald Everett, <laughs> you know, like you're doing you're doing something right there. You're doing something right. Um, yeah. And on the other side, 17 targets to Devonte Adams. Uh, clearly they Typical. had, they had a plan. Um, but I do. And this was part of the concern. Like when it was Rogers, I didn't mind it that much when it's Derek Carr and Derek Carr had three interceptions and they were all equally as bad. Uh, yeesh, you know, just yeesh a yeah. little bit. Like, like I said, not a great quarterback, Justin Herbert's best quarterback in the league. Uh, I'll I'll go down saying that this year. Guaranteed wrong, but okay. it's it's not it's I, not. Joe Burrow was trash last, uh, this week. Justin Herbert's amazing. Uh, look, you, the said best for the, you said best quarterback in the league. That's what yeah, I'm saying. I did. Wrong. That's not a one v one battle, man. That's Justin, not, that's a Justin bold Herbert's statement. Good. That's the, the Chargers. The Chargers defense did a lot though to to expose Derek Carr in that offense, I, like a lot. I disagree. I mean, they did some. Cleo Mack with three sacks was insane. Both yeah, had, had yeah, I was gonna say I mean, you can you can let Devontae get his, but everybody else didn't play great. No, I, I guess what I'm saying, you're I think you're missing the whole point of this game. And the point of this game, I think, which was incredible. Yes, Herbert had great stats, but the credit, yes, he gets it obviously through the ball. But that offensive line against Crosby and um, Chandler Jones, Chandler Jones, what they did, they didn't give up a single sack all game, all game. And to me, that is the difference in this game, personally. Like, that is incredible. They didn't have these stall drives. There weren't these massive, you know, 
drive killers, you could say. They didn't have a turnover, and they, they got three of them themselves. That's the game right there. Like, yeah, the defense did well, but I think the point was that, again, the picks were terrible for Derek Carr. Yes, the defense did some stuff and obviously had an impact on the game, but I think the credit for this game, in my, in my heart, goes to that offensive line just absolutely saying, yeah, we know Raiders, you made a bunch of additions, and Max Crosby's great, and Chandler Jones is elite, but you're not going to get a single sack on Herbert, who honestly gets a lot of sacks in the last couple of years, both for yeah. offensive line and just how he plays. I was struck by that, struck by that. And, and that's where they've invested, right? Rashawn Slater, yeah. they drafted the kid from Boston College, Zion uh, Johnson, this past year and, and and both played really, really well. I mean, Rashawn Slater was a stud in year one last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm with you. I mean, the offense alone, great. I, this to me was a, was a really solid team performance. You had guys who typically aren't big time players step up and make plays when they needed to. The defense as a whole, you had Bosa and Khalil Mack both make some big plays early on. Uh, stripping Derek Carr on the strip sack there to ice the game was huge. But as a whole, like, for the way that the Chargers played and for how good Herbert looked, this game should not have been as close as it was. Yeah. Um, and the offense didn't do anything in the second half. And part of that is on Herbert. Like, Herbert's great. Herbert's awesome. I love Justin Herbert. Never am going to say a bad thing about him. He wasn't the problem in this game. But the fact that they only scored seven points in the second half and opened the door for the Raiders to come back at all despite not turning the ball over means that they weren't doing enough on offense because they how many I think they punted like seven or eight times in this game. Yeah, like I mean, they were they were six of 14 on thirds. They were under 50 percent and they must have punted a bunch there four punts, four punts. But still, I mean, that was uh was what they shouldn't have gone for it on the fourth. Whatever, yeah. it doesn't matter now. But, but and that but, goes yeah. back to the Brandon Staley going forward on fourth down and whatnot. But yeah, no, I, I mean, as, as again, it's a great team effort win. I think both teams yeah. are really solid teams. I think the Chargers are a better team, um, and I think it's insane to think after what Patrick Mahomes did that you're saying Justin Herbert's the best quarterback in the NFL. I think that's Knock absolutely down. that is asinine, and we will discuss it no yeah, further. Jameis, bro. Yeah, two hundred. No, come on, you're making fun of me. Quarter. Oh, please get out of here. All right, last game, Tampa Bay and Dallas. Uh, snooze fest of a game. Yeah. One yeah. Of, it, probably the one worst. One touchdown? Yeah, it was awful. It was an absolutely boring, miserable game to watch. Uh, though, it was the, hyped the up as it could have been. The touchdown was sick by Mike Evans. Um, Dallas definitely didn't get better, um, as we saw. They're now Imagine going to be, that. <laughs> the big story out of this game is obviously Dak Prescott. Um yeah. Break broken thumb, uh, and a, or torn stuff in his thumb. I don't know if they've officially said it, but Jerry Jones immediately after the game was like, "Yeah, he's going to be out for like two months." So, they said he's out for a while. I don't think they said a specific so time, but six to eight, six to eight weeks earlier. was what I saw come out today. Um, yeah. But this is the same thing we saw happen to Drew Brees two years ago, and then he couldn't grip onto the football, and it's the same type of injury. But for Russell Wilson last year, it was his ring finger, not his thumb. Um, for quarterbacks, when it's your throwing hand, and we've seen this happen now, this is the third year in a row we've seen this happen for a quarterback, uh, it's a tough injury to come back from. And then once you do, it typically takes a little while. So we're going to be riding the Cooper Rush train uh, in Dallas. The defense in Dallas, a lot of bend don't break, um, but Tampa Bay was moving the ball on them at will until they got to the red zone. And then I will you know, credit where credit's due. They held them to field goals for the most part. Um Zeke was eating on the first couple of drives. I, I swear, it's just the same thing with Dallas we've seen for the last five years. 
Zeke's eating in the first half, and then they go away from it, and they let Dak throw it all over the field. And then Dak was – Dak was – before he got hurt, Dak wasn't good. C.D. Lamb – I mean, he had two really bad dro- drops that weren't his fault, but, like, C.D. Lamb didn't look good. Nobody on Dallas looked good. The best player that I thought, honestly, was probably Dalton Schultz, and even still, that's saying a lot because Dalton Schultz <laughs> didn't have some great game. Micah Parsons looked awesome, too, because he always looks awesome. But yeah, I, as yeah, a whole, does. man – and obviously with Dak, like season, I don't want to say it's over, but like it's probably over for Dallas. It would take a pretty what? remarkable comeback for them to come back playing a first place schedule. Um, not that it's the super hard it's, schedule because the NFC East does play the AFC South this year. So that's at least helpful. But even because we saw it with, with Russ, Russ tried to rush his recovery back last year, came back, was not ready. And then it wasn't until like an additional month after he came back that he started to look like himself again. And at that point, I mean, we could be talking about like wait week eight or nine and Dallas could be like one in seven or one in eight yeah. or oh in seven, you know, like. This, I, no, I was going to say this screams trade for Jimmy G, right? This is the team. This is the first quarterback. To the Niners down. wouldn't do that. But I, that's the thing. I don't think the Niners will do that. I don't think they would pull the trigger for a third and fourth round or something to get to give up Jimmy G to Dallas. I don't I mean, think so. I, I'm and they're going to have to sign. They're the going to have to pay. Have to go try. But they're. The problem part of that is with his reworked deal to come back for this year, the finances on that, like San Francisco is still going to be on the hook for at least half of it. Um, unless you were to restructure the contract in the trade, which even still gets a little hairy, not impossible. Yeah. And these guys obviously do it for a living. So if that, if that was a big sticking point, they would, but then you're talking about cap implications and does Dallas have enough cap space to absorb that? And I don't think San Francisco would pay for him to play in Dallas um, and as, as a team like San Francisco, like, especially after we saw from Trey Lance, like Trey Lance didn't look bad, but what happens if Trey Lance does look bad? And then you have this roster that could compete for a hurt. Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah. Or gets hurt. And you have this roster Maybe, that okay. could com- compete for a Super Bowl. I mean, no, if I'll- this had happened in the preseason, a hundred percent agree. And I think that's a legitimate conversation, but because we didn't have any quarterback injuries in the preseason, that like we did like when Teddy Bridgewater's knee exploded and the Eagles traded Bradford and and that whole scenario. Um, I think Dallas is kind of fucked here. I don't know where they and go. I, I agree with I you, think Jeff. Because try at least. Well, it, yeah, it, they'll make the call, but they have to. They have to. I feel like because Cooper Rush, I, for for all the the weapons they lost on offense and, and the terrible contract Zeke has, all of that that context that we came into the season with, uh, Cooper Rush is going to have a hell of a time trying to navigate that. Plus, uh, on on top of all that, since Dak Prescott has been hurt in 12 games uh, from that he missed from 2020 to 2021 after missing zero from in his first three years from 2016 to 19, uh, in the games that, uh, that Dak Prescott has been out, the Cowboys are 5-7, and seven, scoring 21 points per game. The total QBR of 43 and 216 passing yards per game. That's not good, and it's not going to get any better with, with yeah, everything. Yeah, but five and seven is actually kind of impressive. The year that <laughs> yeah. he broke his ankle, didn't they only win like four games that year? Wasn't that like week three? I'm surprised that it's only 12 games that he's missed. It's week four. I think he missed 11 games that year. 11 games wow. that year? Um, that was the 2019 season. Uh, yeah, it's it's not good. And, no, it and was to, 20. It was 20. Um, and to give you an idea of how Dallas thinks about the quarter at Cooper Rush in particular, they cut him this year. They cut all of their backup quarterbacks and, last yeah, year your boy and, waited, <laughs> and waited to see who cleared waivers and then brought him back on a cheaper deal. 
So that tells you the confidence level they have in Cooper Rush, which, you know, just once again, Stephen Jones and the Joneses, keep doing what you're doing because you're really good at running a football team. Um, <laughs> but no, actually, no. Said the Eagles fan in the division just stoked I mean, for this. Yeah. Hey, I'm never stoked for injuries, even for no. Dak. Because I, like, no, no, no. I like Dak the human. Um, right. I you're stoked do. that they suck at managing a football team. <laughs> that I love. That I love. But they're really good at printing money. I will give them that. They're really good at printing money. Um, um, I don't know if you guys saw this commercial pissed me off so hard before Sunday Night Football. It was a Chipotle commercial, which I'm a loyal Chipotle customer. And so I might have to rethink myself after this. They did an 88 Club commercial where it was Drew, Drew yeah. Pearson and Michael Irvin and Dez and CeeDee Lamb. And they're all like, the 88 Club. Oh, no, this is what it means. And oh, this is actually what. And it's like, fuck out of here with your arrogant bullshit. No one cares. <laughs> Win a That's fucking playoff game in the last quarter century and then fucking <laughs> do a commercial. God, I there hate the Cowboys. Never root for injuries. No. Uh, on the other side of the ball, though, real quick. Yeah, let's talk Fournette. about Tampa Bay. Leonard yeah. Fournette running Lenny the ball. Good, I mean, man. Dude, everyone was worried about this offensive line. I know, you know, they, they gave up a few sacks here. Uh, I believe, how many? What, two, only two to Parsons. So, you know, I mean, they got some pressures, I will say that. But yeah. at the end of the day, they ran the ball better than, than uh, honestly, I even expected. Six yards a pop for Leonard Fournette. Julio Jones, by the way. Julio I, yeah, Jones. I was going to say. Dude, two carries. And then also on the end arounds. Yeah, dude, the it catch, was fun. The, the deep ball he caught was like, was sick. And I think he in the way so they're so much gonna, different. Yeah. I think the way they're like, going to use him, man. Because remember, Julio had, objectively, he was bad last year in Tennessee. But remember that he had that game that they called him out of bounds on the back end zone touch. I forget who they were playing, but it was a back of the end zone throw. And he was definitely in, but they couldn't fight. They didn't have the clip to prove that he was in. So they ended up not calling, but it was an insane catch. Like he still has bursts. And I feel like they're going to use Julio in a way where like, Hey, Godwin came back. You have Russell Gage as your number three wide receiver, which is a great third option. Um, Mike Evans. And then obviously Godwin, they're going to slowly start to bring back. Now all of the, all four, he got hurt too though. Well, that's the thing. All four of them were banged up at some point, but they all ended up, no one was like out, out. Like no one got like knocked out of the game, like hurt, hurt. Cause even Julio was banged up at certain points, but if they're able to use him 15 to 25 snaps a game on offense. He becomes a real different difference, like a real difference maker for this team. Um, and then yeah, let Lenny running the football, man. That was, that was awesome. I mean, which was I, surprising too, after Donovan Smith got hurt and went out the starting left tackle, he had another, offensive well, and line injury now, and and yeah. running the ball was not a problem for them which they like. said luckily for for tampa which would i mean that would have crushed them um said it was a elbow hyperextension and it's going to be a pain tolerance thing so essentially if he's able to to play through it he's cleared to play but you know when you hyperextend something like that like you're not going to do any more damage to it but it hurts you're thinking about it you know how much do you trust it especially if you're blocking and you're extending your arms out um, how much do you feel comfortable in that elbows is, uh, is tough. Uh, all right, before we switch over to college football, winners of week one, who oh, do we have? God. I'll go first and I'll let you guys think about it. My winner of week one is Jalen fucking hurts. Jalen hurts did everything this off season that everyone thought he couldn't do. Strengthened his arm, learned how to throw over the middle, quick decision-making, and went out and won a game for the Philadelphia Eagles. They won a lot of games last year on his legs, and even though he did run the ball really well and the Eagles ran it really well, they won that game because of his arm and because of his decision-making, which were the two biggest knocks on him 
all of last year. And for him to come out in a game that shouldn't have been as close when the Eagles were up 17 multiple times in that game and the defense let him slide, he said, boys, don't worry, I got you. And he came out and he won that game for the Eagles. So shout out to Jalen Hurts. He's the guy who won week one for me. And you can pick a team or a player or coach or whatever, but for me, it was Jalen. Uh, you read my mind because my pick is the five new head coaches in the league this year that won Ooh. their opening game. Uh, just just a, a great job by them. Uh, a shout out to, to Mike McDaniels. We miss you, buddy. The Niners are 0-1 without him. Uh, but uh, but uh, great job by those guys, especially as, as close as the games were in, in a lot of those cases uh, this week uh, for, for them to – have the uh, the coaching ability to buckle down and, and get their team where they need to be in position to win a game. I mean, this may be – I'll take one easy one is the Bills. Just looking great against the defending champs and just dominating. But that was Thursday. I'll pick a Sunday as well, who I actually thought was uh, was special, which, which actually was the commanders. I thought um, they showed the defense play a little better. I think Jacksonville's better than people are going to start. Like, you're, you're thinking – this is a team that for back-to-back number one overall picks is so much more talented than that. And obviously had extenuating circumstances with uh, Urban Meyer last year, rookie quarterback. I really think they're going to take a step up. This is a key early win, I think, for the commanders. And uh, we'll see if they can build any momentum from it. All right. I like it. Uh, let's do a little college football talk as we get ready to uh, wrap up the pod here. Uh, first and foremost, Texas is back. Right? Horns up. Right. Almost. <laughs> I mean, look, yeah, there are no moral, way better. There are no moral victories, but playing Alabama to a point and damn near winning that game. If it wasn't for a Bryce Young, unbelievable play. Now, I have mm-hmm. to share this story. Um, I was at uh, this great German like beer hall in uh, Arlington called uh, Bronson's Beer Hall. And ah, Bronson's. There you go. Uh, and they had a bunch. There was a bunch of people there and there were these two like must have just graduated college, absolute frat douchebags sitting there who both had a lot of money riding on Texas. And they were the most obnoxious fans I've ever seen. Neither one of them's from Texas. Neither one of them's a Texas fan. So I'm like eavesdropping in on their conversation and uh, they're getting down to like, Oh, Texas is going to win. Look, you know, they're up, you know, but they were winning up until, you know, a full touchdown upwards into the, uh, into the third quarter. And I'm looking at, you know, uh, the girl I was there with, and I was just like, this is going to end so badly for them when Bryce young ends up coming back and they start screaming. And I kind of shoot them a little bit of a look like, yo, settle down. Like it's like two o'clock at a nice bar here. Like no one's going crazy, but you two. And it gets down to the end and Bryce and that, you know, I, I heard their reaction to the Bryce young play. And I just looked over at him and I said, I told you, and they uh, the I, almost if, sack. If dude, if those guys could have kicked my ass, like and and gotten away with it, they absolutely would have. They did not like me at all. But it was one of those things. I just looked and I was like, Bryce Young's gonna do this, you know. And they were like, No, dude, Texas got this. Texas got this. I said, All right. And and then but they Bryce did Young, not have this. They did not have this. And Bryce Young dips <laughs> under the under the rusher and makes an unbelievable play. And I was like, That was crazy, man. It was unbelievable. Insane. But again, no moral victories in college football. But that's a huge, huge that performance is. for Texas. The defense looked legit. They also got screwed by the the uh, targeting call, which was the – and I'm, I'm not against targeting like a lot of college football fans are, 
that one was egregious. That one is like, you can never in any circumstance call that. And how they went to a review and they still confirmed it to be targeting makes no sense to me. Um, But maybe Bama's not all they're chalked up to be this year. I mean, who knows? I mean, we'll, we'll see as, as the season progresses, but Texas gave them a punch in the mouth that I do not think that they were ready for. No, I mean, I think that, uh, Everyone was expecting, we heard all this thing all off season about how Saban said last year they were rebuilding, right? And this is the year and everything. They still could have go out and play. And I think playing a tough team, I think Texas is a lot better than they thought. You know, Saban, Saban had always beaten his assistants until what, last year? And they lost yep. twice and, and this was a close one. I think it's also just like, man, that, that can't continue forever. Um, I'm glad they escaped. I think we'll still end up seeing them, uh, you know, make it into the playoffs and have a good run. But it shows that they're human and it shows that, you know, football still needs to be played. Stop giving people championships in week one. And it's yeah. hard to do because in football, we, we put people on a tier and I do it right. I sat here last week and said they're on a tier with Ohio state and Georgia that can't be caught, man. I mean, apparently Texas can catch them because they were right there. So, uh, and that's with the backup quarterback too. If Quinn Ewers well, doesn't yeah, get knocked out of that game, I mean, who knows what happens? No, absolutely. I mean, it, college was, as much as crazy and uh, great stuff we saw in, in, uh, you know, on the, on the NFL side this week, we saw some incredible college games that, yeah. uh, especially on the upset side, which I mean, week, week one, the NFL is for the NFL. This weekend was for the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, moving forward, it'll be, you know, it'll be split more. Right. But just like, you know, week one in college football is for college football week one, the NFL is for the NFL, but you're right. It doesn't, it does not, uh, blow the cover off the you know it, it doesn't bury the lead that's what i was trying to say um mm. let's talk about the best conference in college football the sun belt let's go let's talk sun about belly it, let's I'm talk so about the sun belt because uh, they're elite elite and you know who's in first place in the sun belt eat right now georgia your, southern your james madison university dukes first place oh, i was close love to see it um Un- unreal couple of performances here. App State upsetting Texas A&M in A&M. <laughs> I had it written down to be one of the games we picked, and I mentioned it at the end of the pod last week that, hey, I was going to add this one. It's not an official pick, but I like App State to cover Texas A&M. So I did have that pick in there. It doesn't count on our record for the year, but I did have App State covering. Didn't have the did, money line. Because I love them. Um, and then Marshall upsetting Notre Dame. Uh, two huge top eight upsets there. Oh, you can't say the seat's getting warm in College Station, but God damn, after everything and all the recruiting and all the back and forth with Saban and, and, and Jimbo this past offseason, for AM to lay an egg like that. And look, App State's a good football team. We, they should have arguably should have beaten UNC in week one. They would have two. Their first, they could be 2-0 with two Power 5 wins on their resume, including the number six team in the country in Texas A&M. Rankings don't mean anything right now, but still. Um, yep. I mean, they don't mean anything, but they do annoyingly enough. It's kind of the weird back and forth. Well, I think but what it means, huge right, in preseason, yeah, it's it's the fact that su- the Sun Belt is now the conference that's scheduling all these out of conference against Power Five, and they're winning them. Going back to last year into this year, they are proving themselves as a great. Con- I mean, this is when the Mountain West at Boise, and they were doing this stuff and making you know making progress. I love the Sun Belt. You know, I coached there three years when I was in, in my NCAA football, uh, you know, franchise. And, and I just, let me tell you what, it's a tough group down there. And they're actually showing it on the field last year and this year. All jokes aside, it's, it's impressive to see 
right? We always talk about how all these quarterbacks in the NFL are talented, right? There's more talent in football than we've ever seen in the NFL. It's happening in college students. It's, it's literally pouring over from the power five schools and the Sunbelt is sitting there with a giant bucket saying, we'll take it all. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. What, what you're seeing from multiple teams here, Marshall upsetting Notre Dame is no at, at Notre Dame is no joke. No, right? I think. And if I'm right here, this is the, um, I just want to make sure I'm right, but I'm pretty sure this is the second time ever Marshall's beat a top 10 team, right? They were good for a long time, but yeah, second time in program history. This is, this is great for the Sun Belt. It's great for a lot of these programs. And I really, really hope that if the SEC expands more and all this stuff, the Sun Belt, more than the ACC in some ways, is looked at to help expand that league because, man, these teams are great. I really hope that either the Sun Belt gets some more recognition, gets an automatic bid in the 12-team playoff, or something happens here because these teams have been making a run both last year and this year, and it's starting to be consistent. Two, two weeks into the season, there's three Power 5 wins on the Sun Belt already. ODU knocking off Virginia Tech, Marshall beats Notre Dame, and App State beats Texas A&M. And you could, it was damn close to being four, too, if App State had found out a way to beat A&M. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's super fun. And just the upsets and everything. I mean, that's what makes college football so special uh, are those moments and tracking those two games and thinking, holy shit, Marshall's about to do this. Notre Dame coming into the season. Again, prime example as to why rankings don't matter. Number five team in the country. They lose a hard-fought game against Ohio State. And then they lose to Marshall. Notre Dame is now sitting at 0-2 two weeks into the season in the first year under Marcus Freeman, which um, there are, you know, just like the country loves to shit on Dallas, right? If you're not a Cowboys fan, it's the same thing with Notre Dame, man. It's it's the exact same thing. Uh, We also had a double overtime thriller between Baylor and BYU, which was an epic game. Uh, We had Kentucky, third time in five years, Kentucky has beaten Florida when Going back to before that first win, they hadn't won that in that uh, series. And I think it had been like almost 20 years since Kentucky had beaten Florida. So now they really love us. <laughs> they've done it three times in the last five years is huge. Uh, and then the last really, really epic game, we had Tennessee and Pitt, which was another overtime game, unreal game uh, between Tennessee and, uh, and, and the Pitt Panthers. Wisconsin goes down to Washington State as a top 20. Yeah, it was a shocker. So that one hurts for the Big Ten. Uh, Texas Tech knocks off Houston, which is weird to say, but Houston was ranked. Texas Tech was not. New year, uh, new coach for Texas Tech, and now they are off to a 2-0 start. Last thing I'll throw in for college football, uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but Sam Hartman was cleared to return to football activities. Uh, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the country last year for Wake Forest. They survived the first game, and then he was cleared to come back, came back and played in this game. They hang 45 on Vanderbilt. Uh, it's just a really good story. Seemed like his football career was in jeopardy there for a while because they never fully disclosed what the uh, medical issue was. But it's just nice to see that he was clear to come back, and it seems as though everything is uh, is back on the table for Sam Hartman. So uh, good for him. Anything else college football related before we go out? JMU, number uh, one. is the number one ranked scoring offense in college football right now. 15 touchdowns. And play a power five. Uh, listen, they're a good team. They put up what 60 plus in both or clo- 50 plus in both games that they played, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, they played Norfolk uh, State, how, who they play every They hung 80 on Norfolk State when I was there. So it's not like how, know, uh, how hot is the hot seat? Speaking of the Sun Belt, how hot is the hot seat for Scott Frost 
in Nebraska after losing to the third Sun Belt team who beat a Power Five. Did you not in Georgia see Southern? He's, he got, he's fired. He got fired yesterday. Oh, really? Done. Wow. Yeah. I didn't see that. Wow. Yeah, he's Real out. Big Ten fan you are. Don't even know when one of the coaches get fired. <laughs> hey, huh. hey oh, well, that's a, a Big 12 school, so busy. that's fine. I'll give Scotty the break. Yesterday was a pretty crazy day. But yeah, he's gone. Yeah. In my opinion, and Scotty, I'm, I'm shocked you didn't go here. The Penn State freshmen, and I know no one, you know, our listeners, we have a lot of Penn Staters that we all know, but these freshman kids, Singleton. Did we call Singleton or what? (laughs) I mean, I think everyone did who watched him, right? But, like, just to see him, and and I hope no one comes out and says no one separated themselves because clearly he has – he had – I think our longest run last year was, what, 40-something yards, and he had three runs longer than our longest run last year in this game. It's against Ohio. I get it. We played some bad teams last year too. And, you know, we just to have him come out here, rush for 179. Again, it's been over two years or about two years since we've had a two, uh, over a hundred yard rusher. We haven't given that many carries to guys, but I mean, he only, he didn't even have that many, but to have him go off, Drew Alar looked amazing. Um, really did. I, I'm just the freshman receivers. I mean, everything, the true freshman out of Penn state, if you didn't get to see it, I don't blame you, but I will tell you this. In the next two to three years, you will see this group go against Ohio State and Michigan, and I'm excited to see us not back down with these kind of talented folks. Um, yeah, feels like we're bright, Jeff Penn. on that same playing field, right? We, yeah. we some of these guys hit finally, and I feel like we have some players now to match. So that's Penn, that's Penn State now in the top 25, and they have a, a nice test: Jordan Hare Stadium, Auburn, Alabama, mm-hmm. coming up this weekend, 3:30 on. CBS. Uh, before we go, we'll update everybody on uh, our picks. I wanted to save this at the end to uh, save our buddy Vito some uh, some shit. But uh, uh, this past week in college football, I got a pull. Sorry, I have my notes all over the place. Uh, in college football, Scotty goes three and two. Vito zero for four. I went two and three. Uh, we Woo-hoo! picked four games, but Scotty and I both had a, an extra bet that we threw in there for our prop bets. Uh, in the NFL, Scotty leading the way, ten and six. Awesome first week for Scotty. Good week, boys. Uh, not stick the with same me. You'll go places for, for Vito. <laughs> Two yeah. and fourteen in week one. Uh, uh, oof. You know what? It's a lot. We said it before. A lot of football left. A lot of football left, Vito. Thank God. <laughs> uh, and then I went eight and eight. Perfect five hundred. Which brings us to our totals on the year. This was the first week of picks we had for Scotty. So Scotty sitting at thirteen and eight in total. Vito after week zero, and then this is three and 20 on the year. Jesus, oh and my, I am uh 15 and 14, one game above 500. I'm in that steady, just 50 percent, man. I've always it's no. kind of where I live, it's kind of where and I I'll, operate from. I'll say this about mine this is instant karma. I had a great weekend, I've obviously had a uh, I've said on this pod a couple awesome opportunities. Life balances itself out, everybody. You, you win some places, you lose some places. Don't get too high on anything. Don't get too low on anything. We'll come and back. Your, we'll and your okay. and your run last year. You had an unbelievable run without a. Oh. You didn't have a single bad like blow up week last last year. So you had one amazing week, and then you were like five hundred. Another pretty good week, and then you were like five hundred. Yeah. You never had like one really bad week. So you know, just and bouncing yes. back. Dig yourself out of the hole. A lot of football left to be played. We got a lot more picks coming. So um we will we will see i mean Vito won off a winning percentage last year but he also picked less games yeah. than we well, did. well i was gonna say and that's the other thing too if you asked me last year if i could save one terrible week and throw it to week one this year i'd be like absolutely so that's yeah hey, exactly that's future Vito's problem that's that's yeah. what that's future Vito's <laughs> problem. all right boys love you this is great we'll be back on friday to preview week two in the nfl got a bunch of good college matchups 
a bunch of good NFL matchups. Monday Night Football tonight, Denver, Seattle. We'll cover that on Thursdays or Friday's pod as well. For the boys, I'm Jeff. We will talk to you guys then. Have a wonderful week. And as always, take it easy, everybody.